Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. I'm Joe. I'm Kayla. I'm Will. I'm Adam. Hi, Adam. Hello. So we have Adam with us today. He is a speculative fiction novelist, um, and he is known for his Weller series. And uh, I also was looking at your World of the Worlds Goliath. And Mm -hmm. uh, also, I loved your... Your your Halloween horror movie uh, blog post. Gotta say that was pretty cool. Oh, now I feel bad that I didn't go all the way through. I I ran but, out of steam there toward the end. Listen, listen, that's that's a lot of time to devote. I mean, it's not just watching them, but then it's you know covering them. So uh, listen, you you got through like what twenty one of the thirty one days of October. Tw- I, I think I got through twenty one. Yeah, and then I had a little bit of a little bit of a mental breakdown there. <laughs> Listen, that, listen that's part for the course for 2020 so oh isn't it though it's <laughs> the horror movie that is 2020 oh yes if you have not hey, had not, some not kind of a nothing. mental breakdown there's something wrong with you <laughs> two-thirds is a good track record right there right 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 <laughs> <laughs> So Very we, cool. I believe you're our, well, I don't know. I think Chris Naglin might, I think he does short stories. I don't think he does novels, but I, I think you might be technically our first novelist. So congratulations. Awesome. <laughs> he writes big books. <laughs> big books. And I take a long time to write them. That's actually, that's an interesting thing. Uh, since we haven't talked to a lot of uh, big book authors, um, the, the time frame is very different. Uh, I'm seeing for writing a, a comic or something and a comic take long, you know, for the art and all of that stuff. But right. what's your, what's your average? Uh, my average is about nine months for a full first draft. Uh, the quickest I've ever written a book was War of the Worlds Goliath. And that was a movie novelization. So I was working from the screenplay. Uh, so I was able to do that in about six months. Okay. That's not, but, that's um, not bad. But yeah, the the past couple novels I've done, they've been stretched out over a long period because uh, writer's block happens, other projects get in the way. Uh, I, I had people screaming at me for the second Weller book for years because I'd gotten contracted by uh, an independent movie company to do another movie novelization, and uh, things just kept getting changed. I, I think I think I went through like maybe five or six script changes. Uh, before the director stopped sending me script changes and forgot that I existed. Oh, no. And I wound up wasting about a year and a half of my life on it and wound up just settling for the uh, for the advance and sending him a letter and saying, look, I'm done. And the letter, I sent a certified mail, and the letter came back un- unaccepted. So I, like, well, I don't know oh what happened God. to that guy. I don't know what happened to that guy, but that's a year and a half of my life I'll never get back. And meanwhile, I had uh fans pestering me for the second weller book and there are even shirts that say hey adam wears weller 2 on them but but, uh weller 2 did come out this year in uh april yeah and unfortunately covid uh ruined my plans for a big launch party i was gonna 
I was going to do a big launch event at uh, Demicon uh, in May, and that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, COVID, for ruining all of our lives. Um... Yeah, because we we have an actual play podcast that we also do, and we were supposed to be coming back this weekend from uh, a con in Philadelphia that we'd been invited to. Yeah, that, that didn't that happen canceled. either. <laughs> I was supposed to be a guest of honor at TeslaCon this upcoming weekend, and their their big theme was War of the Worlds. And oh wow! And so we were going to do a whole bunch of stuff related to the War of the Worlds Goliath uh, movie, and but but um, the, I I didn't get screwed over though. The con just got postponed, so uh, the theme will stay the same next year. And oh, that's it's good. A, it, it's all good. So next November, TeslaCon in in uh, Milwaukee, I think it's in Wisconsin. Oh, but- We'll have to put that on the calendar. <laughs> it, I've never been there, but it's a it's apparently an immersive experience. Like uh, like the con staff and most of the attendees are actually in character. There's a um, there's not it's not really a script, but there's kind of a storyline that the con follows, and <laughs> kind of like red uh, fairs. I yeah, but but um, but just even even more so. It, it's it's really deep. And last year they did. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and every room in the con was a different train car. Oh and wow! They get they get really elaborate with it, and I was really looking forward to seeing what the uh, what Eric, the guy who runs it, uh, was going to do for War of the Worlds. Apparently, he's doing something with the red weed. So I guess there's going to be like red weed decorations all throughout the hotel, and it's but he, he really interesting. He's actually kind of excited because now he's got an extra year to to prepare. So it's going to be friggin epic from what i understand make it big big (laughs) very very cool so adam um a lot of times we talk about kind of because every good superhero has an origin story um and this is a definitely a different uh from comics and and cosplayers and stuff like that um when did you start writing uh i wrote a little bit in junior high um there i used to have uh short stories and uh just little snippets here and there in notebooks from middle school of what would eventually become birthright and uh originally it was instead of a science fiction story originally it was fantasy and there was like magic rings and and uh instead of the the three alien characters in the book it was uh three uh fragmented bits of the main character's soul it was it like and they all had different aspects of his personality it was really really radically different than what I wound up with. And uh, every once in a while I have people go, why didn't you do that? Like, oh, maybe someday I'll do it, do it too. Do both. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it started off there in uh, middle school, but I wasn't really serious about it. And um, it didn't really take off until I'd say my senior, I think it was my senior year in high school. Uh, I started uh, playing vampire, the masquerade with uh, my best friend at the time. And when I say playing with, quotey fingers in the air because uh we didn't do a whole lot of playing because he was supposed to be our storyteller and he never actually got he never ever got a game running he basically just wanted to uh sit around in the lunchroom with the the big green book and his trench coat and his sunglasses and and look cool which he didn't (laughs) um but i wound up taking prop huh it was a prop and that makes me sad it it was it it was a pretty prop (laughs) but uh yeah, that that's where it all uh, started kicking into high gear. Was I got bored waiting for him to come up with uh, stories for us and games, so I wound up writing 
uh, the first draft of what would eventually be Vengeance for My Valentine. And uh, it sat in a drawer for years and went through, God, at least 20 major rewrites until I finally put it out uh, a couple years ago. It's just completely unrecognizable from what it was in high school, which is a good thing because I've, I've found some of those old uh, files from back then. And <laughs> <laughs> we all got to start somewhere. Oh, we all, yeah, and, I, and I started, it was a dark place where I started. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Um, so, like, my first published novel was Weller, and it was actually the third full novel I'd written, because I wrote Vengeance for My Valentine first, uh, then I wrote Birthright, and I tried getting in with agents for years, and uh, just wasn't getting anywhere. And uh, in college, I got an internship with a small... Uh, ebook only press called KHP Publishers. They closed down in 2015. Uh, but I was their slush reader and I had this Weller short story. It was called The Weller Land of Plenty. I originally never intended it to be anything bigger than just one standalone short story. And the uh, the editor absolutely loved it. And he wanted to do a line of uh, Kindle exclusive short stories and unfortunately most of them didn't sell but uh, mine seemed to do okay, and he really, really wanted more of it. But he says, I don't want any more of these piddly short stories. I want you to write a novel with this guy. <laughs> and it put me on the spot because I was like, I had no intention of doing this. Oh, wow. And, and so um, over the course of about nine months, while, while I was going uh, to college online uh, and uh, dealing with a newborn baby. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went ahead and cranked out the Weller and people love it. <laughs> and I, I and they, they keep okay. wanting to know how far it's going to go. And it's like, well, at the time I didn't think that far ahead, but I, I think I got at least two more, uh, two more in reserve after this one that came out this year, at least uh, I've, I've got some ideas. So Weller's not going anywhere anytime soon. Very cool. So what you're saying is that you can, you are capable of going without sleep for extended periods of time. Insomnia is my superpower. Yes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Oh, I, I think I, I think one of the traits of becoming a parent is you become a functional insomniac. Yes, yes absolutely. It, it's a yeah. trait inherited by becoming a parent. It's it's kind of like a, a it, it's every every parent's gift at the baby shower is here. You're going to need this. <laughs> yeah, you can now function on no sleep. It might not be well, but you can do it. Yeah, there yeah, there it's... are there are things that like I did when my babies were newborns that I don't entirely remember, but I was told that I did the dishes. I don't remember doing them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you you learn to go on autopilot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you have to. <laughs> and uh I I got a little bit of a refresher on that this year. I I got two two at the same time. I don't know what possessed me, but I got two pitbull puppies at the same time. And it was like, "Oh god, this is what this is what having a newborn was like times two yep yep especially pities because they need love so much attention oh they're the biggest babies and um th their names are rock and roll yeah. and and that's not just a music reference but it's also a Mega Man reference i have a tendency to name my dogs after Mega Man characters that's so Deep a key point, point. <laughs> <laughs> uh our, our oldest dog is rush he's a uh a red healer he's 11 years old now and does not get around very well and every, and every time the pities get rambunctious, he starts to look at me like, why'd you do this to me, Dad? 
a couple years ago, I had a Pitbull Husky mix named Treble, who unfortunately uh, got hit by a car this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. And it, oh, I, it, it, it damn near killed me. And yeah, uh, I, but then a few weeks later, one of my friends told me about uh, these Pitbull puppies and cedar rapids that needed a home and they were just absolutely beautiful and the uh the gal had oh it was a litter of i think it was 13 one didn't make it one was still born but it was a huge litter yeah and and she was like you know i'll, I'll give you uh, a discount on the second one if you take two <laughs> and i'm like oh god do i need two dogs and <laughs> but i did wind up uh bringing home two and rock the boy he is just i love him but he's dumber in a sack of bricks <laughs> and and i always joke that you know god damn it you're the one i paid full price for why are you so stupid <laughs> but i'm the lovable one dad yeah, he <laughs> is. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a big old dumb 75 pound baby <laughs> oh i love it <laughs> and Wait. he's a lap dog yes oh yes I uh-huh. I was fighting with him earlier because he he tried to crawl onto my shoulders and I'm like you can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are they're amazing dogs. We have we have two rescue pitties ourselves. Uh, they're mixes, but um, yeah. they are they're everything to us. And uh, the first one that that I've had forever, she's actually going to be 15 next month. Um, when I first got her, used to sit on my son's head. She would like climb up on the <laughs> back of like the couch and like put her front paws and her head on top of his head. And just <laughs> that was her favorite place to be. Oh yeah, they'll they'll do that. These these two like to climb onto the onto the back of the love seat and look out the window. It's like, God damn it, get down. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, they are they're so much fun. I I couldn't imagine my life without pities. Just, oh. So yeah, they're... if you hear like commotion on my end, it's because my my little fifteen year old. She's she's only forty pounds. She's my my itty bitty pity. Yeah. Um, she has figured out that when mom has headphones on, she's a captured audience. <laughs> <laughs> and You're she leashed to your computer. She exactly. She knows this. And she will climb over my lap desk and into my lap and practically knock everything over. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised mine are as quiet as they are because they they usually stay in the living room, which is directly above my office. Mm. But um, I don't know. Maybe they're in the kitchen with my wife. I don't know. But <laughs> we we have had to stop for barking breaks with yeah, ours. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm I glad this earlier. is a dog friend. <laughs> yes, I, I muted I'm, earlier. I'm glad this is a dog friendly podcast. That's oh, very much yeah. so. Very yeah. much so. We'll talk I, about I, animals forever. I had to mute earlier because Maya was uh, barking at the wind. I think. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the wind was a serious threat. It uh, is. Yeah, you have to be careful. It's, it's, it could it, be ninjas. Right, Your dogs of have- and, and, and Maya is our <laughs> read too many sci-fi books. Maya is our six-year-old lab pit bull mix at uh, just topping over sixty pounds. So she does think she's a lap dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sixty pounds of love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my friends has a has a lab pit mix, and she is solid. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, she's uh she's her head is her head looks more lab, except she's got the square back of her head. Yeah. But she's got that giant chest and just oh my goodness. <laughs> so much fun. Um, but I digress. Uh, we'll just talk about animals. We don't, we don't yeah, there talk we go. about the book. It's fine. It's the all pit, it's the all pit bull episode. Right? <laughs> we, did, we did we did talk about the book. 
<laughs> we did, yeah, we talked about the book for a little. Now we're we just talking about one of the books. Uh, right, oh, we, the we, we got we got that stuff out of the way. Let's go to the stuff people care about. <laughs> yeah, right. Welcome to dog talk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about dogs and sci-fi, animals and sci-fi, animals and sci-fi, animals and sci-fi. We could. The only one I the only one I can think of is Ripley's cat. Oh, jo- oh okay. No, there, there's tons more. There's the dog in I, in in legend. I have I have an orange cat named Jonesy. Nice. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and uh, a few years ago, <clears throat> uh, my wife was away. My wife's a vet tech, and she was away at a veterinary conference. And this was not too long after we got Jonesy. Jonesy was a barn cat that uh, my wife brought home from work from the pound, and uh, he did not want to stay out in the barn. He wanted to come inside. And originally, his name was Crybaby because he never shut up. And I finally oh. took pity on him and brought him inside and decided, no, he needs a geeky name. We're going to call him Jones. And, uh, <laughs> and my, my wife is gone and my kids are in bed and the damn cat went outside and I had to try and bring him inside. And here I am out in the dark. It was a moonless night, just dark as hell, cold as hell. It was uh, late September. And here I am running around the dark going, here, Jonesy, kitty, 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 here, Jonesy. Uh. And I'm like. This is it. This is where they're going to find me in the backyard, dead. <laughs> this is how I die. <laughs> this is how I die. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I have all my life, at any time I end up in like that outside in dark, there is a little part of my brain that is looking for the xenomorph. Right. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Will said the dog in Legend. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's one. What else? Spot. Spot. Data's cat. <laughs> Spot, this yeah, is true. Yeah. And now we have Grudge in Discovery. True. Which, oh my god, I love that cat. And and that we've got number one uh, in Picard. Yes. Yeah. Can't forget Goose. Can't forget Goose. 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 Never forget Goose. Um, flurkin. Flurkin. <laughs> Does that count? Because he's an alien. You know, I was about to ask that, but uh... it's, a, it's a cat. <laughs> okay. Who is currently living outside of my house? <laughs> <laughs> I no, I'll, I'll take a picture of him one day. He he, my my house becomes the the house of wayward strays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we got we got a good head start on the on the crazy lady starter, uh, crazy cat lady starter kit. Mm. <laughs> um, I currently have my 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 ex. It collects strays, um, human and animal, alike. <laughs> um, and we we currently have two strays outside. One is flurkin. Who looks exactly like the cat from oh, wow. Captain Marvel? Oh wow! Um, currently, he is he is working on his final days, uh, oh. so we're just trying to trying to keep him happy. But he's lost a ton of weight, and uh, just trying to keep him happy. Um, and now we just picked up another like uh, black and gray tabby, uh, but we don't we haven't named that one yet. It'll have a geeky name, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure we'll figure it out sooner or later. Uh, back to our list, Porthos, uh, Captain yeah. Archer's Beagle from Enterprise. Captain Archer's oh, Beagle. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's a geek point for remembering that one because I blanked on that one. And we're I'm gonna, all Star I'm Trek for, fans. I'm gonna I'm gonna forfeit that geek point because I pulled up a list. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be the first to forfeit the geek point. You know, you get the geek point for being geeky and doing the research. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, research is geeky too. <laughs> let's let's just be honest uh, here. <laughs> See, my mind's going to like all those cheesy '80s movies with like K9, and you know, we're like, yeah, but that's movie. not sci-fi. Well, sci-fi is like Back to the Future with Einstein. 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 I think those were science 
fiction-ish, you know. They're geeky. Chomps, you know. I'm going to throw one out that automatically makes everybody go, oh. Oh, what are you going to do to me? Oh, no. Seymour from Futurama. Oh, man. See, I win. (laughs) How dare you, sir? (laughs) I didn't didn't need to feel my feels right now. Thank you very much. (laughs) Rude. He warned us, at least. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, to, to take things off of uh, uh, pet talk. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Oh, fine. Um, I, I went, so as a kid, I remember getting like the novelization of A New Hope and, mm-hmm. you know, reading through that and like there's stuff in there that's not in the movies. So, yeah, I just, I guess like when you're hired to do movie novelizations, like, how much leeway are you given to to do things um, uh, you know, to go beyond what's you know what's there? It really depends on the studio or the director you're working with. Um, I think I was given a lot more leeway than usual since I was working with such a with such an independent company. Uh, the uh, The first thing the director wanted to do when, when we agreed to this, uh, he wanted me to put the original opening back in, uh, which previously the only way you could get the original opening. Uh, toward the world's Goliath was uh, if you read Heavy Metal magazine, the uh, they did a full issue of just War of the World's Goliath tie-in comics, and Puppeteer Lee, uh, who wound up doing my covers for both Birthright and Weller Fear of the Dark, uh, he did uh, the comic Saint Petersburg, which was uh, based on the original opening, and I got to put that in. I got to put the uh, deleted love scene in because there is an R-rated cut of the movie, but it didn't get general release. Uh, so I got to put that in. I got to put in some of the uh, other heavy metal stories. Uh, I I got to play around quite a bit. They they didn't they didn't tell me no uh, very often. Uh, but the reason why a lot of those older novelizations are always so different from the releases is they're usually writing from an earlier uh, shooting script than the final one. And before DVD came around and deleted scenes were a common thing on home video, that was usually the only way you could get those scenes was by reading the novelization. So That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. There's yeah. a there's a lot of them I read growing up that um well like uh a really good example is the Alien Three novelization that Alan Dean Foster did. It differs vastly from uh the theatrical cut of the movie, which if he would have gotten his way it would have differed a hell of a lot more because he hated the script. And it's the reason why he didn't do uh any more of them. He quit after uh, Alien 3, because he was so angry about the death of uh, Hicks and Newt. Uh, Me but if too. You, if you read the uh, Alien 3 novelization, it's almost exactly like the uh, the work print cut that you can get on like the Alien Quadrilogy mm-hmm. set and whatnot. Okay, pulling up my book list. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I, that that's... girl's gotta be long. It is. I My book list is ridiculous, and every time we interview somebody... Yeah, I add something new to it. Got to add more to it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Alien 3 novelization. Okay, got to check that out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Alan Dean Foster did 1, 2, and 3, and then uh, after Alien 3, he said, nope, I'm done with this franchise, and he wouldn't do anymore. And then A.C. Crispin did the novelization for Alien Resurrection, which, as I recall, was actually pretty good. It was, uh, it, it had a lot more from the original script in it. It was better than the movie, if I recall. As you it's say, been... did they change the cheesy ending? There it was different. The new the the whole thing with the newborn was different. I don't remember 
details, though. It's been over 20 years since I read it. I was in high school last time I read it. Okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same as the theatrical ending, no. Huh. Okay. Because that was, I, I liked Resurrection until the end, and it kind of got like, okay, the concept of the newborn is cool. My, uh, my best friend calls it the mound of uh, mashed potatoes. Yeah. He, <laughs> he hates that thing. Absolutely hates it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of look at that and I go, you know what? There are a lot of really good FX artists in Hollywood. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Were they all on vacation that year? Right? Could we not get a hold of, of V or somebody? Like, what? I don't know. It's just because, like, everything else, you know, the Xenomorphs, no matter what, are always incredible. Because it's always the mm. same team, from what I know, working on them. Usually, but, I think. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like, what did I... Okay. You know, <laughs> I still love aliens. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I love it. I'm, I'm still mad that we didn't get uh, Neil Blomkamp's Alien 5. Ugh. That would have been, I, I, I know been a little nice. bit about it, but not as much as I should. Um, you never know. I mean, they could start it up again with all of the... I, I the keep hoping. sci-fi. You know, I keep hoping. You... I hope they'll they'll hope they'll quit throwing money Ridley Scott's way. And <laughs> <sighs> you keep writing books, and one day somebody's going to come to you because we've had this conversation, and they're going to say, "Write the new aliens," and Adam, right? Yeah, Adam is going to write the new aliens. I I keep joking with my wife. Um, but, you know, everybody always says when my ship comes in. I always say when Hollywood comes calling and fucks up my books by casting Tom Cruise. <laughs> that's a key point <laughs> but it's almost guaranteed to make a crap load of money though it Ugh. is it is but um i i will never forgive hollywood for what they did to uh all you need is kill when they adapted it into edge of tomorrow oh yeah that, that that just that just made me angry um well especially since it's a power armor story and i, I write in that genre birthright is a power armor story and for some reason, Hollywood refuses to get power armor right, except Iron Man. They figured it out with Iron Man, but every other power armor property they can't get right. I mean, because they, they, cast, they cast Tom Cruise as a character who is supposed to be a 19-year-old uh, Japanese kid, you know, but they cast Tom Cruise. He can be a samurai. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> God damn it, you derailed my train of thought. Um, but, but they cast Tom Cruise, so of course, oh, we got to show his face. We can't have him in this, you know, fully encompassing power armor. We've got to show his face. Ugh. No, you really don't. You know? We know we know what it looks like. It's fine. Yeah, we've, we've, we've seen it. It never changes. It hasn't changed since 1985, guys. It really hasn't. The man's got a great deal with the devil. Oh, you're right. Well, great deal with an L.A. plastic surgeon, I'm sure. But, Isn't that the uh, same thing? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Dr. Um, Morningstar. Oh, that's suspicious. I think the secret to the success is, is it, you know, with Iron Man is they, they took the property and they handed it to a fan. Yeah. Someone who loved that property Absolutely. and said, I'm not going to fuck this up. I gotta make this right, and lo and behold, it turned into the MCU, and now it's moving into Star Wars. I, I just don't understand what Hollywood's big aversion to mass characters is. I mean, like it's it's 
we've never gotten a Halo movie because they're like, oh, we got to show the face. No, you really don't. Yeah. Um, Dread didn't do well, and it was fantastic. Yes, and Car- it was. Carl Urban never took off the mask. Which, if I ever get my way, Carl Urban has to play the lead in the Weller if it's made into a movie. Has to. <laughs> I can see Not that. Tom- not Tom Cruise, Carl Urban. It's got to be Carl Urban. Go. Who who also has must have a really good deal with uh, whatever nefarious powers are out there, because right, he looks he looks pretty damn good for his age. Well, and he's he's a chameleon too. I, yeah, I, I've seen a a mon, like a montage like a, or a collage of different roles he's been in over the years, and there's some that I didn't realize it was him. Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Gotta love good character actors. I think for a but long yeah, they, time. How, go ahead. But yeah, they, they they keep screwing up mass characters and um like like uh the first Power Rangers movie they tried to they tried to open up the well they and they did do it with the reboot they gave them helmets that opened up but they they tried in the original one to give them uh eye holes that were always open they even experimented with having the mouth holes open I mean it was really dumb looking weird and and like I've I've uh, watched interviews with the actors before where they're like yeah we went into that and they're like we're gonna try this and we're like please please don't you know. But well, there, there Iron, is but one Iron property is... out there that's that that's making it really, really good to keep that helmet on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That is so <laughs> blueprint. Well, but uh, but yeah, but Iron Man got it right. They didn't mm-hmm. in, instead of instead of opening the helmet or removing the helmet entirely, they went inside the helmet. And yes, I, I don't see why they can't just just go with that. For I mean. I, I'd love to see a good adaptation of Starship Troopers, for one thing. Oh, and, that would be so cool. I mean, bef- uh, my dad needs that before he dies. He needs to see Starship Troopers done properly. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy that movie. It's still fun to watch. It's 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 fun. I mean, it's it's by no means faithful, but it is a fun movie. Yeah, yeah. I think the adaptation was was fun and it was cool, but it's interesting because you bring up the Mandalorian thing. I think for a long time people thought that facial expressions were required in order to convey emotion, and yeah. Mandalorian is proving that wrong very quickly. Yeah, you know, God, he... I, I love Mandalorian. I love it so oh much. My, oh my God, we are having so much fun with this show. Um, I I have not watched the new episode yet. Unfortunately, I I we're down to one PlayStation in the house. My son's PlayStation. Uh, bit the dust and i need to get a hold of sony to get it repaired so right now the boys have taken over the living room oh boy and so you're I arm refuse... wrestling them for it basically yeah, and i <laughs> i refuse to watch mandalorian on my ipad i want my 50 inch tv God damn it that is absolutely legitimate sir <laughs> <laughs> yes okay so we won't spoil it for you okay uh, i appreciate that's that. gonna be tough yeah, right? <laughs> that's gonna be hard we'll to at do. least warn you um, okay <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about it today, so I can't really say we're not going to spoil it a little bit for you. Uh, no, we, 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 need to, we need to institute the rule of waiting a week. We really do. Okay. Because, I think that's fair. Be, be, because people, you know, especially now, don't may not have gotten around to it yet. And since we do drop, you know, it's less than a week, I, I think that we should institute that rule. That seems fair. So we will not talk about the first episode of the second season of The Mandalorian this episode in the Geek News. So we will just squish and tell everyone to go watch it because it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. But next week, next week, all the squee. (laughs) Oh yeah, you're screwed next week if you're not if if you haven't gotten around to see the first episode by by next week's show. Yeah, you guys are screwed. Yeah, that's it. We're gonna talk about it it. willy nilly. Um, Adam. Yes. Talk to me about the Church of Latter-day Dude. 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay, are are you familiar with the Big Lebowski? Oh, yes. oh yes. Okay. The the Church of the Latter-day Dude is a church that sprung up around the concept of of dudeism. Just, you know, being dude. Okay. And and uh I a couple years ago now, I got ordained as a dudist priest. That's amazing. And I have uh, I have performed one wedding ceremony uh, for my nephew. Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to go full dude for it. I, I played it straight. Um, but like a, a typical sample dudist wedding ceremony would start off kind of like, dudes, we are gathered here today to celebrate the union of this dude and his special lady in holy matrimony. And that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Some, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was told not to, uh, <laughs> not to do it up, not to do it up. Now, here's a really funny thing about that wedding though. Um, they, my parents talked to me before the wedding and they're like, now we want you to dress nice for this. I, well, of course I will. I, are you, are any of you familiar with the band ghost? Oh, but now yeah. I want to be. Okay. They are a satanic doom metal band and the lead singer, uh, he, he's gone through different. Uh, identities over the years. It's the same guy uh, under the mask, but uh, the lead singer is Papa Emeritus, and they had Papa Emeritus the first, the second, the third. Now they're on Papa Four. Well, I cosplay sometimes as Papa Emeritus the third, who is you know Satanic Pope. And my parents had seen the pictures of me in my Papa regalia, and they thought that that was my dudist priest uniform. <laughs> okay. And they're like, we, we need you to not wear the Pope outfit. And I go, why would I wear the Pope outfit? I'm looking at pictures of that now. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess I can, I can see it maybe because the hat, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was, I was told not. To, and I was like, all right, fine. So I, I wore a, I wore a nice button down shirt and no Satanism. I promise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's cool that you got to officiate a wedding, though. That's oh yeah, it was yeah, it was fun. Um, well, and, uh, I've got a friend who uh, who believes her house is haunted, and uh, she she's uh, she's a witch, and she's done a couple smudgings, and it hasn't done any good. And I joked with her that I was going to come over with you know with a few joints and do a dudist smudging, and she goes, "Oh, you're a dudist priest. My dad's a dudist priest." So I started teasing her that her her dad and I are going to come over and like start you know. Just, start waving blunts around her house and if you do it i want video <laughs> <laughs> i mean the dude abides that's right and the dude abides that is that is very cool i love i love uh reading bios and and all of the like the fun little things that you get to kind of talk about yourself about i mean you're a martial artist when do you get to talk about that you know as a author yeah you know and that's that's super cool are you I've still actually, pra- I I'm not. I really should. Um, I, well, I'd have to find a, an instructor. Uh, my Tung Sudo master passed away from uh, stomach cancer a few years ago, and my Hedong Kumdo instructor moved. Uh, he moved to Cor- South Korea for a couple of years, but now he's back in Iowa. But he's in a completely different part of the state now. So if I did start uh, practicing again, I'd have to find a new studio. Mm, okay. Well, my condolences on your construct your instructor. Well, thank you. Um, but that's a that's a. I don't know as much about that. Uh, that's that particular. What do you call that? Is it a sect? Is it a what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Tradition. Uh, tradition. 
Discipline. Discipline would probably be the best word, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know as much about that discipline. How does that differ from some of the others? Uh... Well, uh, Tung Sudo is my main style, and I've been doing that off and on since I was 12 years old. It's a Korean style. So basically, Tung Sudo is the sister style of Taekwondo. Taekwondo became more sport-oriented and uh, you know, when it became an Olympic sport. And uh, I trained in Taekwondo for a little bit, and they, they definitely put an emphasis on, on uh, kicking techniques that will score points in tournaments. Tung Sudo is much more street very much more combat self-defense oriented. Uh, Chuck Norris uh, originally uh, was a Tung Sudo practitioner. He got his black belt in the Air Force uh, in Korea from Grandmaster J.C. Shin, who was also uh, the Grandmaster of uh, the organization I belong to. So I kind of share a master with Chuck Norris, which is kind of cool. That is actually very cool. That's a geek point. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> That is that is definitely cool. Uh, um, and then and then Haydong Kumdo is the other study, uh, style I study. That's uh, basically the Korean equivalent of Japanese kendo. Okay. So so I get to play with swords. I was just gonna ask. I was like, that's the sword one, right? Yeah. Uh, and I got okay. I got to use some of that in. Um, well, I, I use it in uh, Vengeance for My Valentine because the the main character Ash Corvus is a, pr- a practitioner in both styles, but in. Uh, War of the Worlds Goliath, I got to put it in because there's a character in the script named Lieutenant Lee, uh, who is the lieutenant under uh, Captain Sakai, uh, who's, who is in the movie, but Lieutenant Lee didn't make it into the movie, but he's in the script. And I wanted to do more with him. And there's actually a scene that, I, that was entirely my own where uh, Captain Sakai and Lieutenant Lee uh, fight off the... Uh, exoskeleton tripods, which there are like 15 foot tall mini mini tripods uh, for interior infiltration, and they uh, they infiltrate the Ares base, and Sakai and Lee have to clear the way for the other soldiers, and they bust out uh, uh, Sakai busts out a katana, and then Lee busts out a jingum, which is the Korean equivalent. It's almost the same, except the blade is a little wider and not right. quite as much of a curve to it. Uh, but I got to. I got to put a whole lot of my Heidang Kumdo experience in there, and that was that was a lot of fun. That's got to be fun to write. I have a lot of respect for for writers who write combat from a base place of knowledge, um, because you can tell very quickly if someone has written combat scenes and does not have that knowledge. Oh yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I've done panels at sci-fi conventions before about martial arts and writing, and um, one of the first things I tell people is that your average pawn shop katana can't cut through butter. You know, which is a little yeah. bit of an exaggeration, but you know your your average your average sword that you will pick up anywhere is is a piece of crap and it's going to break. You know, uh, yeah, mo- yeah. You, most you have the that. same, yeah. The whole you wall hangers, yeah, wall um. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. We know all about oh, look, that. You know what this? You know what this means? This this, this antique an- ancient writing that's on the blade. It says this will break. Do not use. <laughs> yeah. And under that, made in Taiwan. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Look, it's an ancient maker's mark. No, it says made in China. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I or, or the or or the guy who you know I've got the uh, I've got uh, you know Aragorn's sword, and it's like mm, that's fine. Put that up on your wall. Don't bring that out on our field. Exactly. I I did a not exactly a Renaissance fair, but like a Scottish themed 
uh, festival back in high school, and my best friend was with me, and somebody saw my claymore that I had strapped across my back, and like, oh my god, is that authentic? And and I'm like, no. And before I can even continue talking, my be- my buddy leans over, looks at it, and he goes, it "Says made in Pakistan." <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, yeah. Karachi. It's part of the Highlands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a never-ending source of amusement uh, in our lives, is the, the, the wall hangers. The wall hangers. The not authentic swords, and that you can't do anything with that. Yeah. You know, It's pretty, though. It's, it's pretty. I actually did, um, just yesterday, order a... Uh, a new katana online uh, that is rated for competition cutting. So, uh, which which didn't cost me nearly as much as I thought. And it's a it's a Hanway Forge Paul Chen sword, so it's not junk. Oh yeah, no, well pa- we know Paul Chen very well. And, 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 <laughs> and I think it sent me back roughly roughly three fifty. You know, and it's no, that's not bad. Really practical, no bells and whistles. Um, hopefully it'll hopefully it'll come here in a couple weeks. I'm I'm excited. That's very cool. Yeah, I paid. I paid three fifty for my my single handed uh, from Baltimore Knife and Sword years ago. So that's yeah, that's not bad at all. Mm. No. Uh, did the rest of the audience is going? What is going on? Their words. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I know some of these words. <laughs> yeah, who's probably got Paul? Ch- who is this Paul Chin? What does he? Yeah, do? <laughs> what did he look him up? He's amazing. <laughs> uh, it's it's probably going. Oh God, they're going to talk about their Ren Fair lives again. Jesus, <laughs> always talking about their stupid Ren Fair stuff <coughs> or Star Trek because it's all we talk about. <laughs> hey, for a while it was Star Wars, and uh, we beat that dead horse pretty well. Yeah, we did. <laughs> like our uh-huh. our second episode, we went on like an hour and a half rant about how the Jedi weren't good people either. So right. Hey, we can always talk about wrestling some more. Oh, jeez. Then Kayla goes to sleep. <laughs> talk about folks who don't quite understand fighting. Right? Uh, no. <laughs> actually, I uh, I actually watched the last uh, bout that Willie that you recommended to Joe. I, I, I was a good girl. I sat and watched. And I, 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 I heard. I'm, I'm very proud. Yeah. <laughs> Showed her the, the Roman Ray J. Uso uh, Hell in the Cell match. Uh, she was she I was, was just yeah yeah they were i was fascinated with because like we did they're related and like the tattoos and they're both samoan and there wasn't as much drama and well okay then they started with and there was there was a lot of drama but it was it was okay so anyway adam you yes. listened to war of the words radio broadcast when you were a kid i did yeah um i will i, I, I love old-time radio stuff i always have like my dad had this uh, Abin Costello tape that my mom bought for. I don't know why she did because he never listened to it once. But I have it. It's I, I'm surprised it hasn't been worn out. I've still got it to this day. Uh, that was my first introduction to old time radio. But then uh, I believe it was winter of. I'm pretty sure I was ten. I want to say I was ten. Um, it was winter of 1980 or 91, and there was a blizzard where we lived on Halloween. And power went out for a couple days. I remember we had to get a generator. Um, but yeah, trick-or-treating was canceled because it was just, there's no way anyone was going out there. And my dad hauled out this, you know, battery-operated boom box. And he had a tape of the Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast. And he was like, here, kid, let's keep busy for an hour, <laughs> you know. 
Mm-hmm. And little did he know, it kept me busy for the rest of my friggin' life. Because <laughs> I've that is so cool. Because I, I got absolutely hooked on it, uh, and it just and that just made my fascination with old time radio even worse. Uh, but then you fast forward twenty years, and I wind up writing a War of the Worlds novel, which that that was a how that came about was a complete comedy of errors too. So that was. I, I would love to hear that story. So. Um, I mentioned Heavy Metal Magazine earlier. They they were associated with War of the Worlds Goliath because uh, Kevin Eastman was executive producer on the movie. And he had worked with uh, the director, Joe Pearson. They had worked together on uh, the Highlander anime, Search for Vengeance, a few years before. Ooh, and, I, I remember that. And uh, Oh, I've got the storyboards. I got them off, uh, off eBay. Almost all the storyboards. There's a few pages missing. Uh, but since I'm such good friends with Joe and he worked on that, I'm going to have to get a hold of him and be like, Joe, do you have the rest? You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, oh God. And I didn't, I didn't realize how storyboards worked and I, I thought I was getting 400 pages. No, no. Like all the flashbacks had a weird numbering system. So I also, I, I wound up with like 800 pages of storyboards. I'm like, got like these two huge thick binders full of freaking storyboards in plastic sheeting and. Like, wow! I made a tactical error, you know. Uh, but anyway, those they worked on that, and uh, and Joe pitched uh, World Worlds Goliath to uh, this producer from Malaysia, and he'd been working on it off and on since 1998, I guess. And they advertised it a lot in Heavy Metal magazine. They had all these promos for it and like pictures of them showing it at uh, San Diego Comic Con in 2009, and and. Of course, I'm I'm a huge heavy metal fan. I'm a huge War of the Worlds fan, and the cast, the voice cast for it, was a whole lot of actors from the Highlander TV show. They had Adrian Paul, Peter Wingfield, Jim Burns, Liz Grayson, all from Highlander, and then they also had Bo Billingsley from Cowboy Bebop. They had Mark Shepard from Supernatural. Uh, wow! They had uh, Adam Baldwin in there. They had a they had a really good voice cast, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped. There was no more news about it, and I was like, oh well development hell you know kind of like heavy metal 3 we're never going to see it you know and uh in 2000 late 2013 my wife starts talking about the movie because she i've been trying to get her to watch highlander for years and she finally reluctantly watched it with me and then she saw peter wingfield who played mythos and she fell head over heels in love with him Ah. i kid you not there's pictures of peter wingfield all over this house and (laughs) and it drives me nuts and i got a funny thing about that i'll tell you in a minute but Okay, but it's oh oh the whole I could I could fill an entire episode with War of the World stuff. I swear to God, I could. But <laughs> but uh, she joined his fan club, and that's how she met the director Joe Pearson, the producer Leon Tan, and got to be really good friends with them. And then she starts talking about this movie, and I said, "What? That's still happening? I thought that I thought that got the axe." And she's like, "No, no, the director posts about it all the time." So I joined this fan group, and you know. It's Highlander fans, so it's my tribe. Although until that moment, I didn't realize just how much of the Highlander fandom was female. Mm. It was total culture shock for me. I thought that was a dude's franchise, you know? Mm. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's take a look at the, le- the, the the level of beefcake in those movies, and yeah, you'll. Oh yeah, it's not a hard correlation. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah the it I I was I was caught unawares, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i go to i go to a fan convention and i'm like one of two guys there and and i was actually a guest i wasn't arm candy you know so, but still i was like <laughs> where's all the dudes but, 
Um, so anyway, I, I joined, I joined the group and I got, uh, I struck up a rapport with, with Joe and Leon and I got to learn more about the movie. Finally got to see a trailer and, and, uh, one of my coworkers, when I worked for KHP, I was talking to him cause he had written movie novelizations before for like really bad Z grade horror, but still he'd had experience. And I said, how do you go about getting that job? And he says, well, dude, just, just ask. I mean, you know, it's an independent movie. It's not. It's not like you got to jump through Hollywood hoops. Just send them, send them an email and ask. So I did. I sent them a, an email, and they said, well, uh, let us see a writing sample. So I sent them The Weller, which had just come out. And it was the only thing I had, only published book I had under my belt. And the director absolutely loved it. And I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, I was up against another author for the job, a pretty well-known and respected Star Trek writer had, oh, there, okay. there goes my dog. Uh, who I won't name because I'm friends with him. <laughs> <laughs> we respect that. Uh, and he's been very supportive of the novelization. I love the guy. But uh, but yeah, he 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 was up for the job, and he also had military experience. So and it's a military book. So I was like, oh god, I'm not going to get this job. But Joe was insistent after he read Weller. He's like he he described Weller as a book having quote fire in its belly unquote, which is some of the Ooh. greatest praise I've ever had in my mm -hmm. life. Um, so he was like, no, I want this guy. Plus, I was willing to write it on spec. I didn't want money up front because I just wanted the damn job. Okay. So so, <clears throat> so I got the job, and, uh, and they sent me the movie, and then uh, they sent me the script and everything, and I had to sign all the NDAs and whatnot, yada, yada. Well, while I'm writing the book, because we got such a late start on it, uh, the, the novelization didn't come out until a few months after the movie had finally released in America. Um, and in June of 2014, which... Which it was really unfortunate when they released the movie in America, uh, they released it on April Fool's Day, so nobody uh -huh. believed that the movie came out. And I had to like hold up pictures of the move of the movie and or, uh, hold take pictures of me holding the movie and go, guys, guys, no, it's here, it's real. I'm, I'm telling you, it's real. You know? so the timing was terrible. But uh, June 2014, uh, the Peter Wingfield fan club. Peter Wingfield played the main character, Eric Wells, in the movie. Uh, his fan club did a convention in. Uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and I got invited there as a special guest. So I got to uh, hang out with Peter. We did a live reading of one of the chapters where he read his character's lines. It was really fun. But uh, before we did that, I did a panel that was supposed to be about Weller, but the fans were all like, talk to us about Goliath, you know? So, okay. so, so I wound up talking about that. And now remember, I said my wife is absolutely infatuated with Peter. Uh -huh. So I'm telling this story about how uh, I had been working on the book and I tried to leave my office to go, like, you know, get something to eat, get something to drink, whatever. And, you know, I'd been watching the movie while I was working on it, re you know, rewinding things. What was that? What was that line? Yada, yada. So I got Peter Wingfield in my ear all day. Then I go upstairs and my wife is either watching Highlander or Queen of Swords or any number of things that that man has been in. And I couldn't escape. I'd hear that voice and I would just groan, like, oh my God. And I'm telling this story on stage. And I didn't realize it, but Peter Wingfield was, he was out in the lobby just outside the, the conference room. And because I was mic'd up, he could hear me faintly, but he could still hear me through the wall. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and apparently he spit orange juice everywhere, laughing. <laughs> and, and he came up to me later and, and put his arm around me. He says, I was devastated to hear that my voice causes you so much physical pain. <laughs> Okay, so for making Peter Wingfield spit take, that is definitely a geek. <laughs> 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 oh, 
That's great. Oh my goodness. So you got to actually talk to him and meet him. I got to, I got to meet him. We, uh, we, sh- we had a beer together, which is funny because when a movie star brings you a beer and said is, well, I think it was Samuel Adams. He's like, is Samuel Adams okay? It's like, uh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to quibble about the brand, you know, and like my, 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 right? my grandfather had like the only wise thing my grandfather ever said was son, there ain't not but two kinds of beer, cold beer and not so cold beer. So it happened to be cold, so I took it. There you go. Um, so yeah, we uh, yeah we had a beer together, and um, and he wasn't the only Highlander actor there. Valentine Pelka was also there. Uh, he played Chronos. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the horse, one of the horsemen from the Highlander TV show. And uh, my wife and I sat and talked with him for a long, a long time, and he was an absolute joy to talk to i got peter wingfield all excited because right around then was when um it was right before uh peter capaldi got cast for doctor who so all the speculation was who's gonna be the next doctor right and all the peter wingfield fans were like peter you need to audition you need to play the doctor you need to play the doctor and i was talking to peter and i said i disagree and he looked kind of hurt at first and i said no you don't need to play the doctor you should play the master and his eyes lit up and he goes Uh yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he just i thought he was gonna squee you know it's <laughs> <laughs> great oh my goodness that's so much fun wow so yeah i got to meet it's great when so i got to meet him and then that... a, uh, about a year later i got to meet adrian paul who's also in the movie i got to meet him at a different convention and we oh, didn't get wow. we didn't get as much uh private time together but he he was a really cool guy it is great when you get to meet a celebrity and they actually are cool people. It, it is because I've met quite a few and some of them can be serious jerks. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the bad things about social media is I've been, I've been social media friends with several celebrities and I've had to block so many of them. Really? Yeah. Wow. They actually get like confrontational? <sighs> some, some get really, really mean. Um, most, especially the conservative ones. Oh boy. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but, but, the, but there, there's quite a few that I've met who have been, been absolute joys. Like I'm, I'm friends with Bo Billingsley on, uh, on Facebook. He's, he's a really, really humble, really down to earth guy. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I really wish I could get him to do, uh, do my audiobooks, especially if I, ever get around to doing one for War of the Worlds Goliath. I've had people go, why don't you get the whole voice cast of the movie to do it? It's like, are you kidding me? You want to pay for that? Are we going to crowdfund this? Right? I mean, if they're that enthusiastic, tell them to put their money where their mouth is, right? Exactly. I mean, but yeah, if one of the, if one of the actors would do it, that'd be great. And like I said, Bo's voice, Bo has that really nice, deep, rich mm. voice. He would be perfect mm. for it. Yeah, definitely. So you do have audiobooks. That was going to be a question. I do have audiobooks. Uh, all of the Weller stories are are in audio. Uh, Birthright's in audio, and so is Vengeance for My Valentine. The only reason, very cool. The only reason War of the Worlds hasn't is because I don't own the full rights to it because it's obviously it's a movie tie-in, uh, and the the film company's in Malaysia, which uh, that already makes sending royalties to them a little difficult because I got to deal with wire transfers and whatnot. Um, but I'm not. I'm not opposed to doing an audio book for him. Uh, I just need to. I just need to find time to hammer that out with the guys in Malaysia. Very cool. Did you get to read them? No. Uh, I I tried that. I actually the the microphone that was giving me so much trouble before the show started. I actually purchased it for uh, doing my own audio books, and I 
after a week of trying to deal with all the editing and whatnot, I was finally like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to get somebody that knows what they're doing uh, to do it. Fair. I, uh, I am a big fan of, of the audiobook only because we have so little time yeah. uh, to do anything that sometimes the only, only way that I get a book in is through audiobooks. All right. uh, r- remind me after the show, I've got uh, promotional codes available for all, all my books. I will make sure you get some. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Because I just added all your books to my book list. So <laughs> there we go. Cool. <laughs> what about you guys? You've been quiet. Anything you want to ask, Adam? I, well, I, w- I was uh, looking, you know, the, the character of the Weller, which um, kind of in this day and age of, of as we're starting to see resource scarcity seems rather uh, prescient. Um, what, I mean, where did that that idea, you know, it <clears throat> the idea first came to me uh i was washing dishes one day which which that's kind of funny a book about water scarcity that comes into my head while i'm playing with water um but i had on uh mad max beyond thunderdome in the other room as okay. background noise and it was the scene where he's walking into barter town and the, the water peddler ah. with a bicycle comes up and and uh, tries to sell him radioactive water and he, you know brings out the geiger counter and waves it over it and starts clicking like crazy you know and that got me thinking because I've always loved those uh, the Mad Max movies. Oh yeah, but uh, but it got me thinking, what kind of you know? Because something I never really thought about before. And I mean, some movies cover it. I mean, like Tank Girl covered uh, water scarcity in in great detail. Uh, but a lot of really popular post apocalyptic movies they don't really focus on that so much. Like the Mad Max movies, they they like to focus on gasoline. Right. But I was like, you know, how the hell would you ensure that you're getting good water? And, you know, somebody's got to have that job because anytime there's a need, somebody has to fill that need. So what would that person be like? What would the pitfalls be? Basically, when, when I write a book, I basically do it to answer my own questions. I'll start with a series of questions. And through the writing of the book, I'll try to answer those questions to my own satisfaction. So so that was what Weller sprung from was what the hell would that person be like? And what would they have to put up with? And... Uh, what kind of person would they be? They'd have to be one tough son of a bitch for one yeah. thing. Yeah. And what would they have to put up with? A friggin' lot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so I gave the guy uh I've I've had people complain about it before that you know he's you know he's not a role model character and you know he's he's not a good person. And I didn't want him to be. I wanted I wanted him to have questionable morals. You know, it's he's a he's just a dude growing up in a harsh world. And you know he's he's not going to be uh, he's not going to be politically correct. He's he's not going to care about anyone's feelings. This guy wants to live, and yeah, and uh, and that that doesn't resonate with everybody, but um, but it resonates with enough people that I have to keep writing them. So so that works. Well, it, I, it it reminded me somewhat um, when I was younger. Uh, I was going to say, oh, my younger, I play a lot of D and D, but I play a lot of D and D now. Um, but there was a setting, Dark Sun, where you know water is you know water is is more valuable than gold or or anything else. And like I I always I I hate I loved and hated where it's like this is one of those settings where like you had to track how much water you had and you had to figure out where you're getting water and you know you had to sometimes do under underhanded things to get water. Yeah. Um, and it just I I don't know just like in looking at at the premise i'm like that makes like so much sense you know and especially as we're you know you we're looking at like the fights 
between states over, you know, who gets access to like the Colorado River or, mm-hmm. you know, it just it seems like it's somewhere we're possibly heading. Well, and it's it's where it's where some third world countries have already hit. there. There have been water wars in, oh, yeah. in in South America and a huge percentage of our fresh water. I mean, I, I believe the figure is three percent of the world's water is fresh water and already a lot of that has been rendered undrinkable i mean luckily uh water is much more resilient than than i make it seem in the book it's really hard to permanently destroy water yeah Uh, but there are some places that have come pretty damn close and we're already seeing in this country um what a form of water piracy like i i cannot stand the nestle corporation i think they're a bunch of pirates and and they will not rest until they have control of the drinking water. Oh yeah, they are um, they are yeah. absolutely terrible. They they steal groundwater and and uh, the bottled water uh, business is so crooked, so damn crooked. Oh, yeah. yeah, Joe and I have had more than one discussion <laughs> on on that topic. I I had um, to do a lot of research on this for the book and uh, and I did some when I was in college. I did uh, for my public speaking class. I did a, a persuasive speech about. Uh, the the dangers and of the uh, bottled water. Well, I, we we're located in in South Florida, mm. um, so and and Florida itself, uh, I forget, but basically Nestle has you know a sweetheart deal to take from various springs upstate, mm-hmm. and the and the issue we have is when they start taking water out of our our aquifers. Yeah, uh, we get saltwater intrusion, and then, oh man, yep. yeah. They're they're and they're not the only ones. There's oh the, oh no no oh no they're not. It's just their their chairman there, is the most ter- their chairman is the most vocal about it. Yeah, he's the one that says the yeah, quiet there, part out loud. A, there, there's another very large water company that's up there that's named for one of the towns in north central Florida, which I won't go ahead and name. Um, that they literally take it straight out of the ground, and yeah. it used to be um, one of the most pristine environments around and not so much anymore yeah um is is the one that involves hills yes they're owned by nestle yeah that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah yeah they're they are evil owned by evil yeah yeah that 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 was what i was referring to they take from the springs in in, in north and central florida and yeah as as adam said uh, Nestle's CEO said something to the effect of, "Well, who said fresh water was a a right?" Yeah, who said who says that? Yeah, who who says that water is a human right? And uh, Pepsi has has a similar position. Like the, one of their executives was quoted saying that uh, they would not rest until uh, tap water was relegated to washing dishes and uh, washing clothes. Yeah, my my favorite on the bottled water uh, is was the. Uh, uh, Penn and Teller's uh, bullshit where they oh, I did love them. the <laughs> where they yeah and the episode they did on the bottle of water one they went into like the number of inspectors that your public water system has versus the like five people at the USDA or FDA there that, is literally uh, three quarters of a person at the FDA yeah. covering the entire nation's uh, bottle of water bottle. It, it's, and it's not her only job that's why I say three quarters of a person <laughs> yeah so it's it's yeah but uh and and any and, bottled uh, water any bottled water that's distributed within state lines is not subject to fda oversight right so yeah it is uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. um, I worked uh, when I was a teacher in the Bronx, uh, the, one of the schools I was at, uh, a organization of students got together and they did fundraising uh, for water. It was, it was a combination of a water pump and purification system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they raised enough for like to, to get like a dozen of them for uh, places in East Africa. Yeah. And uh, we were really proud of the students for taking that. I mean, it was totally student-driven initiative. The, they had a couple of staff members, uh, you know, who helped them in the end, but it was all driven by these kids and they're wanting to make the world a better place. And it was like, oh, that does my heart so good. That's refreshing. <laughs> Pun intended? Yes. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> uh, that's a geek point. <laughs> Uh, Adam, I got to say, uh, something that I think hasn't been mentioned yet is uh, you're, you're making a video game. Oh, the, the Weller video game, yes. Um, a couple years ago, I got the crazy idea in my head to do a video game based on, on the Weller. And I started using RPG Maker to put it together. And I know some people out there are going to roll their eyes, oh, an RPG Maker game. But I'm trying to build it up with, uh, with my own custom assets. Uh, I'm trying to just, you know, use the engine, you know, but uh, it, it's been slow going. I'm doing it all myself and uh, learning from the ground up. Uh, I had a playable demo at Demicon a couple of years or no, last year. Was it last year? It was last year, I think. Uh, yeah, I had a playable demo there where uh, where I had Matt running around uh, a map that pretty well. I was pretty happy with the map. It pretty well mimicked the Demicon Hotel. Uh, and it had the the con chairs as characters, and ha- and he had to rescue the one of the con chairs from a, a boss, and uh, it, it was pretty well received. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get much Patreon support, so I'm not able to uh, spend spend anything on assets. But uh, I've been tinkering around with it a little bit. I don't have the faintest idea when it's going to come out, but it'll uh, it'll pretty much cover the entire first book. Uh, and if it does well, then I might do a sequel based on the second book. That's, That's for cool. cool. It'll That's it'll happen, cool. you know. We we have faith in you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a learning experience. It's a it's it's a lot of uh, it's not quite as much coding as I was afraid it would be, but there is still enough in there that I'm a little overwhelmed at times. But uh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the future we'll see a Weller video game, and uh, if all goes well, hopefully uh, iOS, Android, and Steam. That's the plan. Very cool. I ha- well, we'll have to have you back when that happens. Yeah. There, there was a guy, uh, I did a convention uh, called Next Level Expo last year, a uh, gaming convention, where this guy came up to me and he played the demo and he liked it, but he said, now where are you going to release it? And I said, uh, Steam, iOS, Android. And, and he goes, ugh, I don't download shit. And I'm like, well, don't download shit. Download my game, you know? <laughs> and... He goes, you need to put it on physical media. You need to put it on a console. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's likely. I mean, you know, the game's engine isn't really compatible with most consoles. And he was like, you need to put it on the Dreamcast. And I'm like, excuse me? Wait, what? <laughs> the Dreamcast. We... The guy wanted me to put it on the Dreamcast, <laughs> which the Dreamcast <laughs> does have a pretty robust homebrew community, I guess. But I, I don't what, is see... is this like a dark web underground thing? I guess. I mean, I mean, I've heard about it before, but it's not prominent enough that i think it would be worth my time money and energy to do and it's like oh, if you want physical media i can put it on a flash drive for you buddy but it's <laughs> not coming out for a what is a dreamcast now 25 years old i think something like that 
Somewhere I didn't even that... know people were still using them. Oh yeah, apparently it's it's still it's still got a following, I guess. Wow. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So there's one other thing that we haven't talked about that uh, that you do. Okay. Um, and uh, I am intrigued uh, as I scrolled through your books. Talk to me about Oct- October Ballet. October Ballet um, basically is just a collection of my older uh, stuff. I started out uh, when I started seriously doing horror because I started out with Vengeance for My Valentine. Uh, I started out doing horror and a lot of it was zombie short stories. Um, and there's a lot of super, super short stuff. Uh, there used to be this website. I don't know if it's still going. Uh, it was an old, uh, it was an old blog style uh, writing site called Six Sentences, where uh, writers would submit stories that were exactly six sentences long, and uh, some people really abused the uh, rules of punctuation and grammar. Um, mm. They did an anthology. Uh, I'm in three of the anthologies they did, and the first one, one of my friends did a story that, if I be- if I remember correctly. There were two guys that were competing for the longest story in this anthology. One of them, I don't remember if it was my friends or the other one, or the, whichever one won, uh, but one of them had an 11-page story that was six sentences long. Oh, jeez. And it's like, <laughs> come on, guys. That's, that's crazy. Wow. That's, uh... so, so some of those that I had that were not pages long, uh, I went ahead and edited them. Some of them uh, made them more than six sentences so that they actually followed proper grammar rules. Uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, my old microfiction in there. Uh, the original version of the Weller Land of Plenty, the short story that ins- that brought Weller into being, uh, is in there. Uh, which I wound up folding the Land of Plenty into the first Weller novel, but it got heavily uh, edited. But the original version's in October Ballet. Um, now I got several uh, poems in there, pretty much all haiku. I'm not big on poetry. I'm I, iambic pentameter is not my thing, so okay. <laughs> uh, so pretty much I only do haiku, and and there's there's sci-fi and horror theme. Like there's actually a term for sci-fi themed haiku. It's sci-fi ku. Okay, I found that Did out. Not know that. I found that out uh, a few years ago because there was this. Uh, Iowa-based uh, publisher that did a magazine called Sci-Fi or Sci-Fi Quest, and they and they published exclusively sci-fi ku. <clears throat> wow. Uh, so that's when I first heard about that that medium and. And uh, they never did publish one of mine, but a few different magazines did. Uh, but the title for October Ballet comes from uh, the first poem in the book, which is the only poem I've written that I was never able to sell. And, and it was one of my favorites. And it's, it's not sci-fi or horror themed at all. It's, it's just an autumn, fall leaves themed uh, poem. But nobody liked it. Uh, there was this guy. Uh, I did the Wordplay Books Festival in Minneapolis last year that Stephen King was at. And uh, there was this uh, guy who looked at October Ballet, and I explained the story of it to him. And uh, he asked the same question, why is it called October Ballet? And I explained that uh, it was the only poem I could ever sell. And he read it, and he really liked it. And he goes, I like that. I'm going to take that with me. Thank you. And he puts my book down and walks away. But, he, you know, but I loved how he put I'm going to take that poem with me. And, you know, and uh, the gal who runs my, uh, helps me run my booth, she's like, That'll be seven ninety nine. Yeah, as, as a dude's walking away, but oh, that was a yeah. That, that was kind of a crazy uh, festival. I had uh, we we were lucky that our booth was directly in front of the the line to get the signs. Stephen King wasn't signing, but he'd brought like four hundred pre signed 
copies of uh, whatever book it was that came out last year. And uh, people were in line for that, and the line went directly past our booth. So we actually got quite a bit of business from the Stephen King fans who were waiting in line <laughs> and bored. But there was this one gal. There was this one gal who uh, looked at my stuff, and she's standing there, uh, you know, in line to see Stephen King, and she has a Pennywise shirt on, and she's looking at my stuff, and and she goes, "Sorry, but I don't read genre fiction." And I'm like, "Are you lost?" Um, excuse me. <laughs> Did, did somehow uh, did, Stephen King move into literary uh, fiction and and I, I, did I miss did I miss something? Like, yeah, has like, oh. like did do you did you only read Shawshank's Redemption? You know, or you know, you know who that is on your shirt, right? You know, right? Was, did you just think it was a fun clown shirt, honey? Uh, what did that was? Uh, what do you even say to the people like that? Like, did you were you just too dumbfounded to respond? Was it just like? Uh, Okay. I I was you just not, I was just kind of like well sorry I guess I don't have anything in your wheelhouse and and she she walked away and uh, mm. there was there was another gal that came by and uh, kind of turned up her nose at my stuff and uh, turned out she was a creative writing teacher at one of the local colleges and uh, she took my bookmark and business card and and she's like well I uh, I I usually tell my students to stay away from this type of writing but. Some some of them might enjoy it, so I'll pass it along to them. And and uh, my booth partner's like, "What the hell just happened?" And I didn't even look up from what I was doing. I just said, "Oh, I'm about to be used as an as an example of what not to do in a creative writing class," you know. And well, you oh, know, you, you know the old saying: "If you can't do, teach." Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was shade. That's fine. <laughs> that was that, that's okay. okay. With that. A little bit of shade. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm the judgy one of the group. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> that's true. No, I no, I, I agree. I'll, I'll throw a shade on your behalf. That's fine. That's, you know, <laughs> come at me, bro. I'm good. <laughs> oh my! God. It, it took all, it took all yeah, my head not that's... to be like, well, which one of us is sitting here signing autographs? You know. Hello. Yeah. I I did have a guy. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen from some of my pictures, but I've got kind of crazy hair. I've got uh, right now it's a fading purple, but I've got uh, I've got long hair and I've got it, it's mostly black, but I've got a colored streak in the front and uh, i had this guy at my local gas station back when my hair was red uh look at me and give me crap he's he says uh must be really hard finding work with hair like that and i go oh and i go oh no i wish you told me that before i signed all those autographs last week <laughs> dude just curled his lip in disgust and got his truck and drove off but that, that's what i get for living in like the the most conservative county in Iowa. I swear to God. <laughs> oh my God! I will give you a geek point for the wit. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. That's that's. Mm, yeah, we need. We definitely need to continue to band together on uh, breaking that stereotype and people's perceptions of that stereotype. Definitely. You know, I I have gone to bat for my kids for that. I have dealt with it myself. Uh, um yeah I, I remember when we were in the farmer's market and you had the mermaid green hair mm -hmm. uh. yep i've i've been through many phases um and i think i think women get less shit for it we we have the privilege of of being women and people being like oh she's a girl whatever and guys yeah. get a lot more crap for it and it's not fair at all and, and i get it um, i get it twice as bad because my hair is also long so 
Mm. Yep. Which, which yep. I've had long hair since I was sixteen. So that's yeah. Yeah. Joe has <laughs> Joe has very long hair too, and you know, I, I, I didn't start growing it until I was into my my thirties. And uh, at, at one place I was working, when I started growing out my hair and beard, because uh, they they're probably about equal length. Um, <laughs> I, I had the company president. We were at the coffee, you know, the coffee pot, and he was like. So, Joe, um, is is your hair and beard is is this a a, a religious thing? <laughs> yeah, dudeism. <laughs> there you go. I I just was like, no, my girlfriend likes it. So, and he just <laughs> didn't say anything. And I I walked back over to my section, and I I got into my director. I was like, I think I think Dale might not like my long hair and 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 my my beard. And my boss was like. Your work gets done. You're an asset to the company. If he has any problems, you can talk to me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, my, my youngest son. Um, late elementary school, I want to say. Uh, I At the time, my hair was fire engine red. Um, and I was dyeing my hair one day. And I had a little dye left over. And my youngest son, who was blonde, uh, said, Mom, I want to. I want to do something with my hair. And I was like, sure, why not? You know, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, and we did red streaks in his hair and he loved it. Um, and it was like over the weekend. So, you know, Monday morning he goes to school and I get a call from school. You know, we need to talk about your son's appearance. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they start telling me how, uh, how his hair is distracting uh, to the other kids in the class. And I'm going, these are like seven-year-olds. Everything's distracting to them. Everything no. is distracting to them. It's the just like you have got to again. Be... Yeah, I'm like you got to be kidding me. Um, I'm like, well, you know, we'd like to have a conference, and I'm giggling because I have fire engine red hair, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, sure, I will come into the school and talk to you. Yeah, that didn't go over well. Oh. <laughs> But needless to say, by the end of the conversation, when I had uh, pointed out to them that my son had excellent grades, had an excellent record, has never been in trouble, um, you have nothing in your dress code policy that says anything about hair, kiss my ass, yeah. they dropped it. <laughs> you know, oh. They did not expect this woman walking in. Um, <laughs> so we will forever defend your choices. Um, and I happen to be a fan of long-haired, bearded men, D. Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a meme floating around facebook i've seen in the last week where like a, this little girl goes up to a a gal with uh green hair and she asked if it was temporary like if it was chalked or something and the gal goes oh no my my hair is always green this is permanent and the little girl goes back to her uh her parent and is like you lied to me you said green hair after halloween was illegal that lady's got green hair all year <laughs> it's like oh my god that's awesome Ooh. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. There's another green-haired one like that. That's like a little girl getting same, like similar story with my son, where she, you know, got, gets disciplined or gets you know scolded for having green hair, and then it cuts to her family, and all of them have <laughs> green hair. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Don't watch what you say, man. Yeah, the only <laughs> uh, the only person in our household right now who does not have crazy hair is my youngest son. He's he just got uh kind of short short hair he doesn't he doesn't have a uh, any crazy colors or anything my uh uh my 15 year old he's got a blonde because he's let it fade and because of covid he hasn't gone anywhere 
He went to the dentist today, and I think he was just happy to see sunshine, you know. <laughs> um, but he hasn't. Wait, you still have you still have sunshine in Iowa at this point of the year? Yes, surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, because of daylight savings, we don't have really as much of it as we did. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we uh, he he's got a really thick streak in his hair that's just blonde right now, and of course he's got really long roots because he hasn't touched it in forever. Because he's like, I ain't going anywhere. Why bother? But uh, but I've got my crazy hair, and then my wife, she's uh, she's got uh, like the the under part of her, the back of her hair is is bleached, so she can do that in crazy colors. And I think she's uh, what was it now? It's it's orange now, I think, because uh, it's what we have left. Nice. <laughs> and, and I wanted to do my hair the other day, and she says, "Well, I got orange. I don't want to do orange. I did orange. It didn't look good. I want to go to town and get some get a different color, you know." Mm-hmm. But uh, but I haven't I haven't bothered because. Kind of like my son. I don't go anywhere. I mean, I go places more often than they do. But who am I? Yeah, who am yeah I? we're all kind of wilderness. Stuff. Are you that you have to go into town? <laughs> okay, I live in the middle of Amish country. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot that okay. there are Amish in Iowa. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we got Amish and Mennonites, and that's the uh, that's the funny thing is I every once in a while I'll tell people about how crazy our Amish are around here, and they go, "Oh, you're talking about Mennonites?" No, I'm not. The Mennonites are on the other side of the county uh, because <laughs> the Amish in our county. Uh, people don't believe me, but they have radios in their buggies. I have heard this. They, they got stereos, and they they bump. They really can bump. And <laughs> and people are like, well, how the hell do they do that? And I said, well, be, they're required by law to have running lights, and so that has a car that runs off a car battery, and they've got an alternator on the axle of their wheels that generates the power and keeps the battery going. And some of them have got car stereos and and speakers rigged up in there. They mostly, they stopped doing it during the day. And there's this one family that actually got shunned because somebody had an affair, so they had to move somewhere else. Uh, I think they were the ones who were doing the most of it during the day, and they're gone. But uh, there's still some that do it at night. They'll, they'll go by the house at like 1, 2 in the morning, and, and I'll just hear the <laughs> and, and And then they'll get closer, and you'll hear the clippity-clop, 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 clippity-clop. Oh my god! And it's like you're frigging kidding me. Uh, and I'll have people say, "Oh, those are Mennonites." I said, "No, no, 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 no. The Mennonites drive cars. They drive black cars. They're not allowed to have any chrome on them. They spray paint it black. So we call them the Black Bumper Amish, and they hate that. <laughs> they really hate that. But um, but yeah, the the gallows the gallows mentioning earlier who helps me run my booths at conventions. Um, the first time she came over to my place, we were, uh, we were hanging out and she hears the, the bass and she goes, what's that? And I go, oh my God, oh my God. And I run to the window and I open it so she can hear it. And I told her about it before, but she, like everybody else didn't believe me. And, and here it comes clippy clop, clippy clop, boom, 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 you know, their music taste varies. There's, I've heard country. I've heard rock. I've, I've heard techno. I kid you not. And, oh my God. and, uh, I love that. I love that idea. That, that thought of. <laughs> I mean, talk, I mean, talk about high tech rednecks. I mean, I'm I'm surrounded by them, but but she comes to the window. And she goes, "Oh my god!" And she's she's a huge stereo nut. And unfortunately, they were gone before she could get out to her car because she had like she's got huge subs in her car, and they were already gone. But she was going to go out there and like blast dubstep at them to show it, show them how it's done. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh my god, that is too funny. But yeah, every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll tell people about it, and they 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 tell me I'm. They'll tell me that, that I that, that I'm making it up, or oh, they're on Rumspringa, and it's like, 
No, these are bearded adults. If you're on Rumspring and you, you don't have a beard, you're not allowed to grow a beard until you're married in the Amish community. Okay. So these are not kids on Rumspring. These are the adults. Oh, um, my goodness. I know one that's got a cell phone, or at least he did. Uh, he had a cell phone to talk to his girlfriend in Michigan, but I think he, he may have gotten rid of it when he finally brought her down here and married her. But, wow. Yeah. It's, there, there, was, there was an article the other day where somebody was throwing a fit because there was an Amish person at a Trump rally, and somebody photographed him, and they had earbuds in, like, like, like AirPods or something. And they're like, fake Amish, fake Amish. And I had to bust, burst their bubble and go, no, that doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow the, the, yeah there's the very first different definition oh yeah the, the very first amish person i ever saw and this was also in iowa was buying a metallica cd at kmart that makes me happy and that was before <laughs> i owned a cd player i did not own a cd player yet when i saw that but yeah wow but yeah oh this, this this amish guy the hat and everything buying and justice for all on cd nice Wow, I love that it was injustice too. Right. That's it's like because that's like he was going old school with the new tech. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it was it was right around the time the black album came out, so he, his choices were a lot more limited. But still, good, yeah, still mm. good, and, good pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and finding and finding some of the older uh, the older Metallica on CD in those those days where it was a little a little difficult, especially at your your Kmart. Yeah, especially yeah, Kmart in the middle of BFE Iowa. <laughs> Yeah, I have a I have a nephew who is in uh, Burlington. Okay, Iowa. that that's that's uh, about is that a, town. It's about a forty. <laughs> that's about a forty minute drive for me. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got books in the local bookstore there. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know Burlington quite well. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think we could go on for a while, but uh, just to be cognizant of everybody's time, let's uh, do some shifting over to geek news. Geek news. Geek news. Mm-hmm. Who goes Why first today? Go first? Not me. Last time, so it's Will's turn. All right, I'll go first. Thank you. Um. So I, I, in doing my research today, I ran across something that made me feel especially old. Um. Oh. And this is apparent. This is apparently not new news. Um. But did you know Bindi Irwin was pregnant? Yes, yes. I follow her. Oh my God! I'm so old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she like got married and right away. Yep. Oh, yep. God, like this. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, Robert uh, is getting his driver's license. Oh god. Yep. I follow the whole family. I love them. They're they're so cool. They're so much fun. I I don't even know how I came across this, but it I guess it was some sort of a post that's like, uh, she's showing a baby bump now, and it's like. Wait, Wait, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that I just thought I'd share that. Oh, my God, I'm getting old thing. Those are always um, fun. So have you ever been on vacation and you've gone somewhere and you see this sculpture and go, what an odd place for this to be? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there's one. Um uh, a massive sculpture of a whale's tail. Um, and this is in the Netherlands. Uh, and had a very appropriate placement because it stopped a train from going off of its tracks. I saw that today. 
And I got to tell you, you know what? If you're going to have to, if you got to put in some redundancy, at least make it artworky because <laughs> this was awesome. You know, it so sounds it like was a flute designed? <laughs> I, if it was designed, bravo to them. But I don't think it was. I think it was just a, this is a really neat thing that we can put here kind of at the end of the line to you know put some aesthetics in the place but it actually came and served a purpose i just I'm, looked it up i'm about to earn a geek point tell mm. us admiral there be whales here yes <laughs> <laughs> yes you get the way you get the geek point yes. you are our friend now that is my favorite star trek movie oh i found my tribe i found my tribe yep. welcome, oh my welcome god to the club. we have jackets <laughs> One yeah. of us. One <laughs> of us. <laughs> I just looked up the picture, and folks, this is worth looking up. Um, yeah, wow, that George and Gracie right there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, wow, that's so cool. Oh, yep. Wow, that's and uh. it's interesting because you you I have this preconceived notion maybe that if there's an end of a train line there would be some kind of barrier there like a redundancy backdrop or something that's gonna eh, just in case yeah and and it doesn't look like there was here but (laughs) but the whale saved the day huh neat good story will yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to I'm 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 sure that Joe has the the big story of the week, so I'm gonna let him hold the. Uh... Oh, why are we assuming that I have that? <laughs> Don't assume we know what we're doing. Oh my goodness! Okay, well then I I will, I will share this fun story, and then I will go into the the sad news of the week. Oh yes, um, yeah, the sad news of the week. Yes. Um. So actually, uh, LitHub.com. Uh, which is a, the literary hub, uh, put together a the 50 best Draculas ranked. Um, yes, that sounds amazing. I want to know. I want to know. And this is, they, they went with, rather than all the Draculas that have ever been, um, they went only with ones that have taken the form of plays, films, comics, and other pieces of art. Um, not like books and um, other types of media. Okay. And just to save save some time, I will start at number 13 because, well, you know, it was just Halloween and 13 is a really good number to start with. And we'll start with Al Lewis of the Munsters. Okay. Who was not technically a Dracula, but he was a vampire. Yeah. And, you know. I'll allow it. A monster. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, number 12, I, I'm going to botched the hell out of this juji nakata uh or crispin freeman from helsing okay oh. are they is that the same Crickets. people i guess it's the same thing i okay. don't know I, I am a little on, on one. me uh number 11 willem dafoe shadow of the vampire oh, okay yes from 2000 yeah. uh an amazing movie in and of itself Another amazing movie, which you have to go in with a little bit of uh, <laughs> open mind. William Marshall's Blackula from 1972. Oh, man. 
Yum's in at number 10. Wow. Mind you, this is not my list. This is a subjective list, but I, I think it's a very interesting way to play a vampire. Uh, number nine, Zhang Wei Kuang from Dracula, Page of Virgin's Diary from 2002. I missed that one. Uh, mm. Another interesting one. Number eight, I think, you know, being that it's number eight should be a little higher, maybe. The Count from Sesame Street. Ah, ah, Yay. ah, 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 ah. <laughs> when people say he does, he doesn't count as a real vampire, and let's just say I assure I, you he does. I absolutely. I assure you he counts. <laughs> <laughs> Get your geek point. <laughs> uh, number seven, Cla- uh, Clays, C L A E S, Bang, Dracula. Uh, it's a new 2020 BBC Dracula series, which okay. I'm going to have to look into. BBC and Dracula, yes. That definitely makes me want to look it up. Yeah, it, it's it's a new one, so I'm going to have to look that one up. Okay. Uh, Frank Langella, Dracula, 1979. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes absolutely. Which to me played a little more like Scarface than it did actually Dracula, but whatever, that's okay. Okay. Uh, number five, Martin Landau, Ed Wood. Good, good. Call. Oh, nice. I mean, that uh, movie is just good all around. Oh, yes. Very cool. Yeah, and, and movies that you just wouldn't think. Uh, number four, Klaus Kinsey, Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979. And if you haven't gone and seen this movie yet, by God, what have you been doing with your life? Yeah, please watch this movie. Uh, and right after you get done watching that one, you can go to our number three, which is Max Shrek. Nosferatu, a symphony of horror from 1922. Yes. Good, good Lord. Again, good oh. Lord. Go and watch this. And now we get into the, which one of these should be one and which one of these should be number two. I will Ooh. go with how they listed them. Bela Lugosi, Dracula, 1931 is number two. Okay. And according to this list, the number one is Christopher Lee, Horror of Dracula, 1958. Personally, I think those two should be swapped. I agree. I did not create the list. I would swap them. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Bella's definitely got to be at the top. My, my only thing is that Christopher Lee was actually somebody who could kill you. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but as I said, these were this is the top no, fifty, and we only went through the, the the top fifteen. But there are some really really good pulls in here. Uh, Rutger Hauer, uh, Jason Isaacs is in there. Okay. Um, so list to look through, and yeah, it's definitely yeah, we can a spend list it to look through. Absolutely. Yeah, we... So LitHub did the uh, did the list. Feel free to look them up. It's a very interesting list and fun to play around with. Very um, cool. And I will segue into Joe with the uh, sad news of the week with the passing of uh, my favorite Bond, uh, my Highlander teacher, <laughs> um, and good Lord, how, how many other possible things could he have done in his life? Uh, yeah, loved him. Loved him in uh, the... Everything. No, uh, God, the name of the movie fell out of my head. Uh, the... Hunt for Red October. Well, yes, Hunt for Red October. I was also, <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of my faves, yeah. The Untouchables. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. That was a good one. Yeah. My favorite uh, is another one I can never remember the name of, um, 
but I loved it was the one where he was with uh, the burglar one, where he was with the young girl. Entrapment. Entrapment. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. So good. And a very unsung movie of his, uh, Rising Sun. Yes. With God, what Wendy. a fantastic I'm, movie. I'm a huge Michael Crichton nerd, and I, I love the movie. That was, that was a really good movie adaptation. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Michael Crichton fan, too. He's, he's one of my top authors. It, it, Did we it, just become best friends? Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just think about what, what Michael Crichton, you know, what, what has been made from his writing, and it's ridiculous. But uh, as Will pointed out, on Saturday, uh, Sean, Sir Sean Connery uh, passed away at the age of 90. Um, he uh, played Bond. Uh, in seven films between 1962 and 83. Um, and uh, in addition to that, uh, he was in Marnie, uh, The Hill, Murder on the Orient Express, The Man Who Would Be King, Bridge Too Far, Highlander, Highlander 2, <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He was the voice of Draco and Dragonheart, uh, The Rock. Uh, I loved him in Finding Forrester. I thought that yeah. was an interesting interesting role oh here's um, one uh the great train robbery which is also a michael crichton adaptation so there's two for him wow uh also the name of the rose uh just he had a body of work um not saying that he wasn't problematic at times uh i think everyone's probably seen some of his quotes about things but uh at the end of the day um he was a hard-working actor um he was voted uh twice well he's voted once as sexiest man alive in 1989 uh which would have made him 59 years old um and then was named sexiest man of the century in 1999 uh, by people magazine um he retired uh he, he retired from work uh in 2006 um basically or 2007 uh and uh he Kind of focus a bit on uh, the politics of Scotland, uh, trying to help push for uh, more home rule. Um, and uh, he was a resident of the uh, Bahamas, uh, so not too far from us. Um, I mean, he is, you know, he was Richard the Lionheart and the uh, Kevin Costner. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Robin Hood. You know, it just his his roles are across all sorts of genres and, uh, you know, depths. Um, his honors include uh, Commander of the Order of the Arts and Letters from France, uh, knighted uh, by Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, he was an, got received an AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, he won Kennedy Center honoree. Kennedy Center honoree. Uh, I mean, he's just, you know, did. Uh, he he did the work. Um, he did get a Best Supporting Actor Academy Award in 1987 for his role in The Untouchables, um, and he won uh, he's won a he won a BAFTA for The Name of the Rose, uh, and he won uh, a Golden Gold uh, a Golden Globe Award for The Untouchables as well, as well as being nominated for Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, where he played uh, Harrison Ford's father, uh, the the elder Doctor Jones. Um, like I said, you you you, you can't you can't uh, discount this man's career, um, and he he made some rather interesting choices. Uh, Zardoz um, <laughs> uh, and and his role of uh, Agamemnon in uh, Time Bandits. Uh, yes, uh, 
legendarily, he uh, did turn down the role of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings films, Good saying he didn't quite understand the the, the script. Uh, so and he was also uh, turned down the opportunity to be the Matrix and uh, be the architect in the Matrix. Uh, so good, good, good pass. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knows he knows his his wheelhouse. He knows what he can do, and he knew what he probably shouldn't do most of the time. Yeah, so, gotta we give him talk, that. We, we Absolutely nothing wrong with saying that you know there, I, I don't want to do this because I don't get it. That's fine. Yeah, no. Well, at least then you're not trying to do something where it's like I don't understand this, I don't get it. So maybe you're not going to get 100. percent It's better to pass on it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that is uh, it, it is a loss. I mean, he. I know for a lot of folks, he is their their bond. Uh, my older brother Sean Connery is his bond. Me too. Uh, I I I I like the Roger Moore Bond, but that's me. Everybody has their bond. Yes. Everybody has their doctor. Everybody has their bond. Yep. Yep. That's the way the world works. Um, what so, else you got, Joe? Oh, what? I, so I have uh, yet another reason why we have to get HBO Max. Why haven't uh, we done this yet? Because it's not available for the Roku. Damn it. Um, so one. Uh, let me pull up what I had. Um HBO Max, they are developing uh, Mark Guggenheim, uh, who is kind of behind all of the uh, CW shows and stuff. Um, they are developing for HBO Max a uh, Green Lantern series. Um, and according to the Direct, um, it's been released that there's going to be a diverse range of characters, a diverse range of Green Lanterns, including Guy Gardner and Alan Scott. All as, right. As well as a, uh, a a new Green Lantern who is half human and half alien. Uh, according to Guggenheim, they're saying that the series will be uh, done, produced like a film. Uh, so the 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 premises for those who are, no, are who are not aware, Alan Scott was the original Green Lantern uh, from the Golden Age of Comics. Um, he found. His ring, uh, which was powered by magic uh, originally, um, which has later been retconned into somehow being part, being attached to the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, originally, his Green Lantern ring, the weakness was wood. He, he had no effect on wood uh, as compared to the modern Green Lantern and the weakness being the color yellow. Um, Number two pencil, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying not to giggle like a schoolgirl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alan they Scott, no effect on wood. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan Scott, who in recent uh, DC continuity has uh, been revealed to be a gay man, uh, will be traversing uh, 1940s America while hiding the fact that he is gay. Uh, huh. Meanwhile, Guy Gardner will be featured in the 1980s as a hyper-masculine, abrasive character, similar to portrayal in the comics. Which does result in one of my favorite scenes in Justice League, uh, as a recon Justice League and Guy Gardner's mouthing off, and Batman just hauls off and punches him in the face. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. What they're saying is that the Green Lantern series will be telling, we somewhat anthology-like. Uh, multiple time periods will be featured in the show, um, and so they're going to be, you know, going across uh, Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age. Um, I'm assuming we will get Hal, we'll get 
Jon Stewart, we'll get uh, uh, Kyle um, and Kilowog and all the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, we better but... get Kilowog. <laughs> Sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it, that's the um, how they're going to approach it. Uh, there's some idea that they're going to maybe do like they did with the Watchmen series where uh, they'll do they'll feature things as flashbacks that are linked to to uh, current events, things going on. Uh, so it, it should be interesting. And uh, as, as a fan of the Green Lantern, especially I was a fan of of Alan Scott's Green Lantern. Uh, it's, it's rather interesting, and I'm I'm looking for it. I'm I'm here for this. Um, other strange news: uh, we now have our 28th name storm. Of the Atlantic hurricane season, God. Hurricane Eta uh, is out in the Southern Caribbean, threatening the coast of Central America, Guatemala, and Honduras. I believe uh, it. Uh, we now have tied. Uh, we have tied 2005 for the most storms uh, strong enough to earn the name in a single season. Uh, this is also the 12th hurricane to form the season which has only other happened three times, uh, according to the Department of Atmospheric Science at Colorado State University. Um, so, yeah, we're uh, it's quite the season. Um, Yay, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you've looked at the storm track, as I did earlier today, um, it, it looks like it's going to make a landfall um, and then possibly loop back out into the Caribbean as a depression into some nice warm water again. So uh, those of us in the tropical areas of the country need to pay attention to this because uh, 2020 hasn't been fun enough as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's uh, mostly my news. Oh, uh, did come out this, I believe came, coming out this week, um, is a uh, Star Trek novel, um, which is the biography or diary of captain Catherine janeway which is nicely timed to uh last week's uh dedication to the statue in uh bloomington indiana for the birthplace of uh the future birthplace of uh Catherine janeway um i have a crit role story a critical role story but i don't know if kayla if you were covering that uh the we talked about the foundation last week right Yes, we did. Okay, so I don't think I had plans for a crit roll story today, so go for it. Okay, so remember a couple, probably about a month or so back, we talked about the uh, independent creator who made the combat wheelchair? Yes. So Thursday's uh, critical role uh, featured uh, the cast playing NPC characters, I believe. And uh, one of they the were, char- they were dressed as NPC characters. Okay. They were still playing their regular okay, like, characters. Uh, one of the, I believe, one of the NPCs though that they were that was in the story utilized the combat wheelchair. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So um, for those who remember, we it was talked about. Uh, I'll, I will have to link back to to the creator of it, uh, but a person who wanted to increase inclusivity uh, in D and D. Uh, create a combat wheelchair, had all sorts of really interesting uh, effects, and uh, just really was a cool idea and something that D and D and gaming in general needs to remember is that players come in all shapes and sizes and abilities, and 
that we need to make sure that everyone is represented. Um, so uh, I, I remember seeing this on Twitter blow up uh, Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, the the use of uh, uh, I believe it is uh, trying to pull it. Uh, the NPC Dagon Underthorn, a veteran dwarven explorer, uses a specialized combat wheelchair. Um, uh, the combat wheelchair was created by uh, Sarah Thompson, um, and it went viral over the summer. And we talked about it. And uh, she, you know, how big is that though? That the biggest stream in D and D used her her des- her her designed item that, that she gave so cool. that she gave away for free. Yeah, yeah, and and it would be it would be Matt that would do that. He is he's so cool about that stuff. Oh, and he, um, he, I'm an episode behind, so I haven't actually uh, watched that right. one yet. Um, and and when she originally posted it, and there was a lot of um flack from some corners of our hobby. Um, that me. Matt was like big time spoke up on her on her behalf and on behalf of the design and the the thought and heart behind it um so yeah that's so very that's, cool that's that's what i got what Go you got Matt. uh okay i got a couple of little fun and interesting things here um for those of us 80s nerds um uh saved by the bell is being rebooted is it <laughs> is it reboot or or continue on? I think it's more of a it's more of a continuation. It looks like they've got a bunch of the original cast uh, that are coming back, and then there's a whole new kind of new generation uh, coming up. So I think some of them have become teachers and things like that. So uh, it looks cute. It looks interesting. Um, I mean, Elizabeth Berkeley is back, so I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, <laughs> Because seriously, you cannot go wrong with her. Um, I will never not be able to picture her with red nipples, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's set to let me see where's the where's the release date? I lost it here. Um Okay, I don't know if they even have a, a release date yet, but there's a trailer that just dropped. Um so you're just gonna be on the peacock. Uh so if you are dorks like us, um, I mean, I will probably have to watch it just just so that we can review it, you know. Um, um, there is a release date. Is there? I lost November, it. November 25th. Okay, thank you, because oh. I couldn't find it for anything. It's my son's birthday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Well, we'll see how that goes. I, did, you I, see, did you see the synopsis for it? Uh... When California Governor Zach Morris gets into hot water, California Governor, I missed that part. Oh man, um, gets, into, <laughs> gets into hot water for closing too many unfunded high schools. He proposes they send the affected students to the most well-funded schools in the state, including Bayside High. <laughs> the influx of new students gives the privileged Bayside kids who never have a problem they can't solve in twenty minutes as much-needed dose of reality. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, how so could that this possibly go wrong. <laughs> oh, I have so many different ideas, but none of them would make it on the peacock. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely hmm. none of them would make it on the peacock. No, no, no. That's a whole nother channel. That's Spike? something. Spike, maybe. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> FX. 
you know, some some somewhere where we can show some gritty reality movie TV shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and of course Mario Lopez is back playing AC Slater, and he is now the Bayside High athletic director. Big shock. Um, yeah, yeah he's wow. Got nothing else. He has nothing else better to do right now. Big <laughs> sh- yeah, Wasn't there's he a stretch. hosting extra. He's hosted uh, a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> well, when you can't find an acting gig. <laughs> Poor Mario Lopez. A, I will be a quasi reporter. There you go. Um, so yeah, check that out if you're brave enough. Um, I'm going to try and check it out at least so we can review it a little bit and let people know how crazy it is. Uh, there is a new teaser trailer dropped uh, for the new Michael Myers movie. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Michael Myers is back. His killing on his killing spree in the new teaser trailer for Halloween Kills. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is back for it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the pictures actually look pretty good. They may have finally given up the William Shatner Kirk mask um, <laughs> and gone with something a little bit more realistic, which I'm kind of happy about. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's another another Mike or Myos movie. Yeah, there's gonna be a there's gonna be another one too. There's Halloween Kills and then the year after they're doing Halloween ends. So it's it's a planned trilogy, I guess. Okay, I didn't see that part. Alright. That's okay. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis returns for the sequel and is joined by Judy Gear, Andy Met I can never say this last name right. Matichak? Matichak? Sure. Um who reprises the role as Laura's daughter and granddaughter in the sequel. Mike Myers actor Nick Castle and James Jude Courtney will also come back to share uh the role. Um the film also includes Kyle Richard returning as Lindsay Wallace, uh Anthony Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle and Nancy Stevens who will reprise her role as Nurse Marion. So these are not connected to the Rob Zombie ones from the the early No, these these are direct sequels to the original first movie. They retcon uh everything Halloween 2 forward out. It's none of that happened. They even uh they even took out the whole thing about Michael and Lori being brother and sister. Really? Yep, yep, they took all that out in the last movie in the wow. in the 2018 Halloween. Yep. I oh, and, that. I, and I see the screenwriting is uh, includes Danny McBride, which yep. seems like a interesting genre for him. Yeah, when mm. I first heard about the last Halloween movie that, that he was working on, I I kind of gave it side eye, but no, I I love that last one that that he worked on. It's he surprised me. Oh, and uh, I see uh, part of the production team is uh, Jason Blum of Blumhouse. Mm-hmm. So yep. That's... It's got some potential for sure. Yeah, the the last one was really good, and it's and this one's going to be following uh, right along the same storyline. That's cool. Right. We will have to to keep an eye on that as uh, as more material down, comes out, and and maybe track down the 2018 film to see as well because I, I missed that. Yeah, one. yeah, we missed that. that. I want to see that one for sure. I took that. Uh, mm-hmm. I took my son, uh, my 15 year old. Uh, to that one, he came out on his thirteenth birthday, and I went ahead and nice. and took him to that. Is he uh, uh, is he following in his dad's footsteps? You know, he's not nearly. The, the funny thing is, he's not uh, like like the horror hound that I am. His younger brother, the the nine year old, he's a horror hound. It's it's he he loves horror. Like we went to a con one time, and he bought uh, like there was somebody selling Perler bead artwork of different. Like like sprite versions of horror characters and whatnot, and somebody had made 
it was basically a, a Mega Man pose, but they'd altered it to be Ash Williams, and instead of the blaster, it was the chainsaw, you know? Okay. And um, my son, Scott, he's like, Mom, I want that. And uh, she's like, yeah, all right. And the dude looks at him, and my kid's eight at the time. He's like, do you even know who that is? And my eight-year-old just looks him right in the eye and goes, duh, it's Ash. Hail to the king, baby. Nice. And the dude's like, all right. <laughs> He's, Tell him he gets a geek point he, from us. He gets a geek point. <laughs> yes. He he he's seen out. He's seen he's seen Army of Darkness. I won't let him watch any of the others. But Army of okay. Darkness is okay. He got into it because there used to be. I don't know if it's still. I don't know if it's still supported or if it's gone kaplooey. But uh, there was a tablet game of Army of Darkness that I had on my iPad forever, and he fell in love with it. And um, but yeah, he he's got all these different horror masks. Like he's got this horror mask that he made himself. Um, and one day he, he put it on and did his little Mike, his little mute Michael Myers walk across the kitchen and climbed up and got into the cereal cabinet, started pulling down cereal. And my wife goes, what are you doing? He goes, I've, I've come to kill your cereal. And it's like, that's not how it works, son. But that's, <laughs> and we don't talk about Halloween three, right? <laughs> Halloween three. I, I appreciate what they see. Well, it, it gets so much hate because it's not a Michael Myers movie, but uh, John Carpenter never intended to make a series about Michael Myers. He wanted, oh, yeah. he, he wanted to kind of make it an anthology series, which you know, after he'd done two movies in a row with Michael, kind of that was never going to work. But I mean, if you take Season of the Witch as its own thing and leave Halloween out of it, it's a fun flick. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun flick, but it's it's one of those where it's like, how is this a Halloween? I okay. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk it's about Halloween? Those... Who, you want to talk about Halloween movies that need to be forgotten? Halloween 6. <laughs> I hate that one. Ha- Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers is Oof. Ugh, so bad. There's, It's so funny with horror films, especially ones that just go on and on and on forever. Um, how you get some, like, one will be really, really good, and then one sucks, and then, like, two movies later, you get a really good one, and uh, it's <sighs> the, you know, almost all the, like, long-running franchise like that kind of oh, yeah. go up and down. You know, was it? I'm trying to remember. If, uh, no, this was a customer came into our thrift store, and she asked if we had the Friday the Thirteenth series on either VHS or DVD in the store. And I was like, I am surprised that you actually know that series, the TV series. Yeah. Oh man. Uh-huh. Uh Which again had nothing to do. With nothing. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it when people come into the shop and want like a very specific thing. And it's like, do you know how much stuff is in this shop? I have no idea what is in that video (laughs) bin. Go look. (laughs) We get some interesting requests. I was vamping because I lost the article I was going to bring up just now. And I just found it. So, Um, (laughs) okay. So uh, my last little piece of funness. Um, I don't know. I don't think we've talked about this on the show yet. Uh, there is in production a Gremlins prequel cartoon series. Really? Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm okay. Uh-huh. Um, and they just released some of the concept art for it, and it is really cool looking. Uh, here, I'll just read. Um, HBO Max is producing an animated Gremlins prequel series titled Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai. A piece of concept art has been shared that teases what we can expect from the series as we 
can see it features a young version of the adorable character Gizmo, as well as a young version of Mr. Wing, the elderly Chinese character from the original film. The series will consist of 10 episodes, and it's being developed by Once Upon a Time and Gotham writers Zhu Shun. Uh, this is previously released synopsis for the series, so let's see. In the 1920s, Shanghai, the series will tell the story of how 10-year-old Sam Wing, feature shop owner from Mr. Mr. Wing in the 1984 movie, met the young mogwai called Gizmo. Along with a teenage street thief named Ellie, Sam and Gizmo take a perilous journey through the Chinese countryside, encountering and sometimes battling colorful monsters and spirits from Chinese folklore on the quest to return Gizmo to his family and uncover a legendary treasure. treasure they are pursued by power-hungry industrialists and his growing army of evil gremlins. Okay, here's my problem with this. What? If you eliminate any, any, any correlation to Gizmo or Gremlins, and you change the character names, this is a fantastic idea for a show. Okay, I don't like the fact that it's Gremlins? No, because it's not Gremlins. Hmm. I'm curious what they'll, if they'll touch on the origin of the Gremlins and the Mogwai in this, because um, this goes back to our earlier conversation about movie novelizations. The movie novelization for Gremlins actually does specifically state that the Mogwai are aliens, and... Um, I haven't actually read it. I'm just going by what I've read online about it. Uh, okay. And that apparently Gizmo hasn't always been such a sweetheart. Apparently he used to be pretty bad. Like most of the Mogwai are. I mean, they're, it, it almost sounds like, it almost sounds like they're bioweapons, kind of like the Xenomorphs. Just drop them and drop them on a planet and let them cause havoc, you know? Um, huh. but, uh, but yeah, someday I need to track down a copy of the, uh, novelization and, and learn more about that, but yeah. So I'm wondering if that's what they're, uh, if they're going to go with that, or if they're even going to touch on it at all. Yeah, yeah, that's that'll definitely be interesting. Um, the original director of the film, Joe Dante, is actually consulting on it. Nice. Um, and so far, it looks like he's happy with what's going along. Um, he says, "I'm very pleased with the way it's going. It's a it's a prequel. It goes back to the character Mr. Wing. Okay, it's pretty much the same introduction. Um, doesn't say anything about aliens." Uh, but we'll see. I'm I'm curious about that now too. But the concept art is super cute. Um, I, I highly suggest just looking it up. It's just the it's this one little picture. Um, but I mean, you know, to each his own. But I've always been a Gremlins fan. I want to know uh, if Gremlins so three is ever going to come out because they've been like, like every time they announce Gremlins. That. Every time they announce Gremlins three is coming, I was roll my eyes and say, yeah, that'll be the day because they've been uh-huh. they've been teasing it for 25 years. <laughs> It, it comes out two weeks after Jaws 5000. Right. There we go. <laughs> Shark still looks fake. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's a geek point. <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so we'll see. It's, uh, again, it's one to follow and, and see where it goes. You know, um, I wonder, the other day my wife and I were in Walmart, and we were in the electronics section with the uh, uh, where they have the collectible toys and whatnot, and they had a little gizmo there that that sings when you squeeze him or squeeze his paw or whatever i wonder if it's a tie into this maybe they're starting to do merch again because it's getting close could be it was stinking cute i'll tell you that and and it did it did the little it did the little gizmo song the little song oh i love the little song i have a a little stuffed gizmo from back in the day my son's got one that uh 
It was one of those that if you shake it, it kind of made the wah, 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 wah noise. And, <laughs> and the poor thing's been through the wash a few times. It's not very pretty anymore. Oh, boy. that's That's got to sound interesting at this point. You're not so supposed wait, to so get them wet. wet. Right? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> I, I, I told my wife that. I'm like, no! <laughs> I, I will give Joe and Will geek points for that. <laughs> well earned. Well earned. Yes. Uh, so is, that's, is it just yeah. me that... That, that thinks that, I mean, if you take these, uh, we're going to spin off on this idea or, you know, some established thing. And it's like, you know, if you just change things around a little bit and eliminated any reference to any previous thing, it might actually do all right. I think that there there uh, is some fear of releasing original material. And if you tie it to something existing, it might oh, do better. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but at, at the same time, it's okay. You you've got the nostalgia factor. Okay, great. That's fine. I'm I'm okay with the nostalgia factor. But going back, a, a lot of this crap that they're trying to shovel down our throats wasn't all that great to begin with. We just didn't know any better because we were young and <laughs> we just thought it was cool. And now we're not young and we know that it's not cool. <laughs> you know, and I don't know. It's just also a lot of times it's uh because we are the ages that we are now and we're the generation that kind of had this stuff originally i think the creators and producers today that are our age are you know playing with a little bit of nostalgia and wanting to introduce these things that we loved so much growing up to a younger generation and the idea is in order to introduce them to a younger generation we have to make them appeal they gotta do it through us yeah. right yeah. you know so they have to like because if i had little ones i would sit down with my little ones and watch these gremlins prequel because i remember gremlins from when i was a kid yeah. I, you know I think, the, I think the other side is is you know there is some interest to bring because you know mogwai is actually from chinese folklore um i i just think there's an interest to okay let's delve into you know what these things were before uh you know before 1980 whatever for you know the first film like there's there's a backstory there on these things like okay well how do you know not to get them wet and not to feed them after midnight and who determines when midnight yeah. is and you know so I, I i'm kind of intrigued especially if they delve into into chinese folklore um a lot because i think it's it's on the whole it's just a good thing to expose people to you know, the different folklores from around the world. Um, and, you know, but I, I can definitely understand, you know, the other side of it is this is nostalgia for, you know, they're, they're, they're safe by the bell. You know, yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're coming for us. It's yeah. Two and outer. It, it's a two and out. It's a two season and out thing. If they're lucky. If they're lucky, <laughs> they'll, they'll get a Netflix, they'll get a Netflix deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's like I'm I'm looking through this uh, one of the sites that I frequent often that I had that article on, and there's I'm looking at a lot of stuff that is kind of reboot, prequel, bring back. Uh, they're doing a creep show season two. Um, um, something I didn't bring up: uh, Jordan Peele is going to be uh, doing uh, Candyman, uh, the Wes Craven film. Yeah, I'm which, intrigued. Which listen, Jordan Peele, uh, I will give him. I would give him a uh, leeway on these things because that man can make some horror films. Agreed. Yeah. I, 
until I heard his name attached, I was kind of like, eh, but no. Yeah. You, you, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention, as the meme there goes. There we go. There <laughs> we go. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's throwbacks and whatnot or, or, you know, bringing stuff back. And, you know, part of it may be that, you know, we're running out of material a little bit. It's also, you know, we're finding new inspiration for old stories in comics and, and things. Okay, like a, that, a, as somebody who creates original content, we are not running out of ideas. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. I apologize. <laughs> that was I misspoke. There are plenty of new ideas out there. Um, They're just be... not getting any kind of traction because no one wants to give money to them. Exactly. That, that well, may be true. Because we're coming up with all of this older stuff, it, it is not paving the way for, for new stuff. Yeah, it's well, it's they can Hollywood considers reboots and remakes and whatnot safe. You know, it's something they you know they can look at safe the past cut. success and they, and they can bank on nostalgia in some cases. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, it's it it seems to be really hit or miss, and it just yeah, it's either amazing or it really sucks. Yeah, <laughs> there's like no in between. Yeah. You know? I would. Well, we shall see. Um, there's a new Tiny Tune Adventures. Like that's all callback. You know, that's all us old people going. I want to see this again. Oh yeah, that and um, <laughs> that, they're, they're doing Animaniacs too, right? Yeah. 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 Yes, we talked and about actually, that. We I, I saw a thing where they they were showing kids Animaniacs clips, and they were like, "I'd absolutely watch this." What do you mean this is over 20 years old? (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! And it's like, it it holds the appeal. It holds up. Even some of the dated jokes, even with those dated jokes, it still holds up. Because they had it on Netflix for, I don't know if it still is, but it was on Netflix for a while. And my boys and I were watching it, and they just, they ate it up. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, politics jokes that are, like, Clinton and things like that. And, yeah. Yeah. it's crazy but um yeah so there's a lot of interesting things coming up and psa let's make room for the new artists and new ideas as well and promote them like our wonderful guest yes please tom cruise needs (laughs) tom cruise needs to fuck up one of my books so i can buy a boat (laughs) i'm in the middle of a cornfield in iowa i don't know what i'm gonna do with a boat but (laughs) you got lakes and rivers and ponds and things right i do i do have a pond yeah there we go i'll do like they did at the end of uh Oh, what was that? What was that movie? Secondhand Lions, where they had a oh yeah, they, they had the boat out on the pond. Oh, what a great movie! I loved that great movie. That movie, movie was so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite part is not so much. I mean, the movie is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, Michael Caine on I want to say it was Conan or maybe Jay Leno, but I think it might have been Conan. Um, and they were asking him about his Texas uh, accent. Oh boy. And, <laughs> And Michael Caine does the best uh, explanation and and like performance of how he changed his accent to at least come close to uh, something that sounded slightly American. And it was and it stuck with me as someone who's been interested in doing voices and voiceover and stuff. And it was just, you know, he was talking about how you basically just speak like a Texan. You just have to sort of start laying your letters down on top of each other and. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I loved it. That, that like him talking about that like was I don't know. It, and you know, now that you mention it, I never thought of it before. The, the fact that he's an English actor, it never entered my mind. 
I mean, I'm familiar with it with him enough to know that, but yeah, it never entered my mind the whole time that he was that he was faking an accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did it very well, and that's that's a that's a tough one to fake because it can get cheesy real fast. Oh, it can. Yeah, it can. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's why he is Michael Caine. Exactly. I've, I've had to fight with um, audiobook narrators over uh, accents before, like when I did uh, the Vengeance for My Valentine audiobook. The uh, the main villain of the book is. I mean, he's a vampire, so he's he's uh, he's in his like 80s now, but he still looks like he's in his 20s. But he was he used to be a Chicago gangster, and this uh, narrator I had for some reason made him sound like a Texas used car salesman. Oh no no no! And I'm like, no that, and, and I'm and I'm going back and forth with this guy about about these accents, and he kept trying to give um he kept trying to give southern accents to some of my uh my main characters who are most of my stuff takes place in Iowa. I mean, war of the world's Goliath being the notable exception, but I, I had to try and explain to this guy that no, no man, Iowa is like the complete absence of an accent. We are about, it's like, okay, think vanilla. We're, we're a level below that. You know, yeah. like I, I met this kid in Arkansas. I was on uh, vacation one time and this, we were at the hotel swimming pool and this kid's like, where are you from? Iowa. I wondered, you talk funny. You got a na- weird accent. And I'm like, I have a weird oh, accent. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse I, you? <laughs> as, as somebody who went to college in Chicago for four years, um, I can tell you the Chicago accent is definitely not anything close to Southern. No, not even. And very distinct. And very, very distinct. Yeah. I, I think the guy mm-hmm. did okay. I think we got something passable. Um, but yeah, that that was one problem. Was the guy sent me the entire book in one shot? He didn't send me chapter by chapter, so we had to almost re-record the whole thing because he didn't listen to my direction. And so, jeez, uh, oh, uh, bro. <laughs> so that's one that's one piece of advice I give indie authors who decide to get into audiobooks. It's like demand that they send you chapter by chapter, and don't don't wait to listen to it all at once. You'll regret it. There you go. Goodness. Well, is that all your news? That is that is it for me. Well, then I think it's time to go to the big board. Go to the big board. Um, I think it's pretty uh pretty safe to say that our dear Adam here is definitely this evening being crowned the geekiest with eleven points. Well done. Well mm-hmm. done, Adam. And and one to your son. <laughs> and one to um, my son. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, and, to the <laughs> There we go. Uh, the rest of us, um, I did not rank at all tonight, and Will and Joe are tied at one. I think we were you just so... Did, you did, did I? Okay, yes. I missed it then. Two of them, so, actually. Yeah. All right. I missed it completely. I apologize. So, I'd come in in second then with two, and Joe and Will at one. I'm sure that we missed them along the way. I think we were just so having fun talking to Adam uh, and enjoying all of your, your wonderful stories. We had a great time. Oh, um, shucks. <laughs> so as the uh, the geekiest this week, it's your right, privilege, honor, and responsibility to plug anything and everything that you would like to uh, put out in front of the listener. So, uh, and, and of course, as always, everything that you plug, we will make sure it's there are links in the show notes. Okay. Uh, well, of course, my latest release would be... Uh, the Weller Fear of the Dark, the second full-length Weller adventure. Uh, that came out in April this year, and it is available on uh, uh, all ebook platforms. Uh, Kindle, Nook, Kobo, Google Play, uh, Apple. It's all there. Um, 
and it's also in paperback and audiobook, as I've mentioned. Uh, right now, the the first book, uh, The Weller, is ninety nine cents on ebook. All those ebook platforms that I mentioned. So if you want to get started with The Weller, that's that's the way to do it. Ninety nine cents. You can't go wrong there. Uh, but what I really, really, really want to push because for some reason. People don't like vampires anymore. Vampires have gone back into the coffin again. Uh, my book, Vengeance for My Valentine, which is a, a vampire revenge crime thriller uh, set in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, of all places, because why the hell not? Uh, and that's also available on uh, ebook, paperback, and uh, audio. It doesn't get near enough love, and I really, really, really want people to check Vengeance out. It's a fantastic story. Uh, you know, it's it's what really got me into writing. If, if we you, will it, definitely have to check that if, out. If you love if you love vampires and come on, let's be real. Everyone loves vampires. I can't say that there are no sparkling vampires because there is one. There is one vampire who sparkles, but I won't give away anything other than that. I'm gonna read it even more just to find out why the one vampire sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, cool. And does there a uh, does there social media stuff? Uh, you can find me. I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, pretty pretty easy to find on there. Just search for Adam J Whitlatch. Uh, my website is adamjwhitlatch.com. Uh, and there's links to all of my books there. Uh, there's even a section devoted entirely to War of the Worlds Goliath. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got. Cool. All right. Hey. Kayla. Yes, Joe. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the twits at uh, hawk underscore Kayla. Uh-huh. You can find me on Instagram at geekiest Kayla. Uh, you can find me playing the uh, impetuous halfling rogue Jade on the 5th uh, edition actual play D&D podcast Not Safe for Wizards. Um, you, if you are in the South Florida area and the downtown Davie area, and you'd like to check out, uh, our fun little, uh, geeky, witchy, cool little thrift shop, uh, we are at 4148 Davie Road. Uh, if you are not in the area and would like to check out a little bit of what we offer, you can check us out at secondhandgoddess.net, uh, and Secondhand Goddess on all the social medias as well. Hey, Will. Yes. Where can we find you on the interwebs? I'm not nearly as popular as you guys are. I'm only on Instagram and on the Twitter at Geekiest Will. Hey, Joe. Yes, Will. Round it up and take us home, sir. Where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Demorgus. That's D-E-M-O-R-G-U-S. Uh, you can find the this podcast across all the social media at the Geekiest Pod. Uh, you can also email us at thegeekiestpod at gmail.com if you have a question or want to let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can find me as the DM on the Not Safe for Wizards 5th Edition Actual Play podcast. I play all the things that Kayla kills as Jade. Um, <laughs> and you can find me working at Secondhand Goddess uh, part of the day. Uh, and then there's like the the evolving dm stuff that i'm still trying to figure out so just keep an eye on that and i think that's it for all the places you can find me doing things um we are like what eight months almost nine months into this pandemic uh as we have been saying or we're about five years into it 
That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. 36,422. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so can we follow the social guidelines? Can we do the social distancing? Can you, please, can you wear a mask? Please. Can, can, please, you, please. can you wash your hands? No. Uh, as, as, our, as, for, as co-host Pete would say, uh, don't be a dick. Um, yeah. And uh, as we love to reiterate on this podcast, we believe that Black Lives Matter. And uh, we thank you for listening this week. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having thank me. This was a blast. Yay! Remember, kids, leave the world a better place than you found it, especially now. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.